0: All right, everybody, welcome back to Reclaim the Present Podcast. I'm your host Jay. Uh, this this guest, she is awesome. All right, first and foremost, she is a local hygienist to where I live out in the Yorkville community. She works at Station Side Dental as a hygienist. Let me introduce you to Valerie Mena.
1: Thank you, Jay, for having me. I'm I'm super excited to be here and to be a guest. I feel honored. This is my first podcast.
0: So. I'll be gentle. I, probably, I probably promise. <laughs> Please be nice to me. Please be nice to me. Yeah. I'm one of those scaredy cats that do not like going to the dentist. Okay. And you had the ability to make me feel so comfortable, you know, your, your professionalism, your touch, all, all of that at a place that is very sensitive for people, especially people with complex PTSD. Absolutely you know, that level of comfort that you gave me in such a short amount of time. But then, you know, just when we got to talk a little bit more and you were able to share your backstory, I was just, I I was absolutely blown away. I was like, oh my God, my audience needs to meet you because yeah, because the level of resilience and grit and just like, okay, I I'm, I'm a, I'm a dad in a partnership with a wife you know i have itty bitty kids but you know the nights where my wife is working i experience a piece of what it's like to be a single parent a piece and it's probably like 5% 10% you're a professional you're a professional working woman and you're you're a mother of two as a single parent that's incredible
1: thank you Thank you. It's been it's been a long journey.
0: Yeah, and you know, I, I guess I, I guess to put some context to all of this, where where did you begin? Where did you grow up?
1: Oh, so I grew up at Merrill's Park, um, which is about thirty minutes from Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, majority of my mom's side of the family is from Pilsen, you know, south side of Chicago. Yep. So we were there pretty often. Um, I grew up. I wouldn't say that I was poor, but we were like middle, medium class. Like I, we never had without. Okay. Um, My parents both grew up and were born in Mexico. Okay. And then they came here to the United States when they were young. Um, I think seeing them work so hard and being able to buy a home for their family. I mean, my dad has such an, you think my story is incredible. I mean, my father's story is just. Incredible in that suffering from abuse from his stepfather, Mm. Um, alcoholism, and runs in both of our families, unfortunately. And he could have been the worst father ever because he didn't have that prime example. Yeah. For us, and um, he chose otherwise. He, I felt like he found it in his heart to be such a better person, and he never treated us the way that he had been treated.
0: In his life. Wow. What an incredible I- example because you you look at all of these findings where people that have be- have been traumatized yeah. they they repeat those patterns. In yes. in, in it, it it's an unfortunate event but it becomes generational. Yes. And it is absolutely remarkable. I mean it it's it's a miracle Because I'm going to assume that he didn't go get help for this. He didn't... I feel
1: like in uh, our Mexican community, you know, and I think mental illness and mental awareness has come such a long way now. But I feel like in our community, I can't speak for every Mexican, but in the Latin community, I feel like mental illness is taboo. Taboo to talk about. They don't feel that it's something real. (laughs) Um, it's, It's either you... Um, like for me, it's like my parents, you know, they came from Mexico coming to United States. There was no talk of education, career, degree, advancement. Um, my dad kind of just learned that along the way. And with us, it was like, you guys need to get an education advancement, passing it on and trickling to us, but never really focusing on unpacking the trauma, uh, learning how to deal with it forward. Um, yeah. you know, it, it there was none of that.
0: And In- I, de- I definitely have have spent a lot of time in the Mexican with the Mexican culture I absolutely love the Mexican culture and one of the things that you know I can I can attest to is it's it's a very prideful and a very um you know at, at least on the male side of it it's a, it, it, it it's it's machismo it's it's um yes. it's macho be be the man be the, be the provider. Yeah. You
1: cannot show emotion. That is your job to be strong. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And so how old, how how old were, were your mother and father when they came to the United States?
1: Well, I feel like they were probably like around seven, eight ish Oh wow! when they came. Um, my, my mom, it's kind of a similar story with, uh, my mom and my dad, they both came, but they had to leave siblings behind. So they would bring them in increments. So my aunt didn't come to the United States until she was like 16 years old. By that time, she had a majority of her life in Mexico. It was such an adjustment for her and even for my father's siblings, all increments in a time because you know, back then it was not that easy to cross the border. I mean, it's still not easy, but right. they managed to uh, come yeah, um, My mom and my dad, luckily, thank God, they both got their citizenship when they were like in their 20s, almost 30s here in the United States. So that was wow. a big accomplishment for them.
0: So your your parents prideful Americans? Yes. Wow. Yes, they are. Wow. And, and so what... What was the, you would kind of touch base a little bit on the experience with, with your father. What was the experience with, with your mother? Do you have any background of what her life was like leaving Mexico? Yes. And
1: yes, it's funny because I'm starting to research that part of her now, oh. Since you know, she, she's gone. Um So it, for me, like my grandma and my grandpa I love them to death, but they're very strict, okay. very strict household, very strict. So it was uh two, three brothers, three, three girls, three boys. Um, so big family. So my mom was kind of like almost towards the end, almost close to the baby, but not quite. Yeah. Um, so Mexico, they, we lived on a farm. There's animals and, and things such as transition. And uh, they came here to the United States for opportunity for income to help, you know, better the family and here in the United States, from what I gathered, it was a rough transition mm. for the family. Um, my mom, I, I, I get little bits and pieces of what I gather is that she was rebellious in a way. Okay. Like, um, not so much that she didn't want to listen to rules, but I just feel like she was just trying to figure out who she was. Yeah. It was a very strict household. Mm. Very, very strict Um, she only finished up to freshman year of high school. Okay. Unfortunately, my mom. Okay. Um. That's my mom and my dad actually met because they both were renting apartments in the same building. Oh wow! And that's how they met. And the funny thing, my my grandmother owns that building now in Pilsen, mm. so I don't want her to get rid of it because it's like so much memories of yeah. my parents there. Um. And that's how they met. And, uh, you know, she got pregnant at. 15, turning 16 years old. So she was, she was pretty young. Yeah. Pretty, pretty young. I know my grandpa, um, I know bits and pieces. I don't want to say he was abusive all the time, Yeah, but there was some, some abuse and my grandmother wasn't as motherly to her as a mother in my definition should be. Yeah. She was very cold with my mom. Uh, like when she, she kicked my mom out, uh, or my, and my mom felt like she had to leave
0: because of the pregnancy, uh,
1: because of the pregnancy. Oh, wow. Um, my grandma pretty much is just like, if you leave, don't come back here. You know, I think she missed her and was so sad for her daughter, but the only way for her to show that was anger. Yeah. And my mom didn't, wasn't receptive to that.
0: Yeah. And now when, when your mother was 15 and, and she became pregnant, was this with you?
1: No, this was with my sister. Okay. So my sister, she's 37, 37. Okay. Um, she had me when when she was twenty-one.
0: Okay. Man, it's still young.
1: Yeah, yeah. God. Yeah. So then after me, six years later, you know, there's four of us, two boys, two girls, two boys. Um, then she had my brother, who's twenty seven. Oh my god. Twenty-seven. And then the baby is twenty-five. Okay. So I feel like throughout her lifetime she didn't really get to figure out who she was. Yeah. She didn't have the opportunity to live what we think like a normal life of just coming into your own. Like, I think for her, there was no talk of education advancement. Women are in careers. It was just like, you find a good husband, you have a family and you just go with life. Hmm.
0: And in in literally no independence, she, from, from 15 years old, which is, I mean, you're still kind of awkward and it's still kind of in like that yeah. puberty place, right? Like yeah. everything hasn't set in yet. And no. she's pregnant and that she's absolutely in survival because her parents aren't supporting the pregnancy. No. So you're my gosh, she, she never really got that freedom to be, you know, to, to, to be that teenager, to be right. that, you know, in her 20, it, it wasn't yeah, there. Just
1: experience the high school experience of going to a dance or going to a homecoming or playing a sport. Like, I do know that when she went to middle school, she did play the violin. I'd found that out later. <gasps> um, but she never talked about that part. She never, she never talked about her childhood very often, <sighs> which I always made me wonder why, but I know there were some things that unfortunately happened to her. Um, that she didn't talk about for a long time.
0: Mm-hmm. You come into the world. You have an older sister. Yes. What? What did growing up look like for you?
1: You know, when I think of my childhood, I I say I had the best childhood. Awesome. I I I regardless, like now looking back as an adult, like I can see where the problems were, but if I analyze the situation, but my parents, regardless of how hard they worked, they maintained a schedule. It's like my dad worked in the morning or my mom worked. No, my dad worked at night. My mom would work in the morning. So they would alternate shifts and how to take care of us. They never had us like with babysitters. They didn't, you know, trust people very often. <laughs> when we went to parties, we would go with them. They never left us behind at all. Um, my mom, I mean, child, I mean, I had friends look down the street. I mean, my mom would take us to the pool. My mom, I mean, it was like the best childhood come at home when the streetlights turn on. Um, there wasn't that much social media. There, Computers were just coming out. So yeah. there wasn't a lot of people on the phones. I mean, I had a landline. My dad had a beeper with his little gold chain. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you know, like it, it It was a good childhood. Always with family. We got together for every holiday. Christmas, 4th of July, Mother's Day, birthdays. I mean, it was, it was a, I can never say that I did. My parents didn't give the best childhood because they did. Mm.
0: Oh, that's, it, that's so awesome that you were able to have that experience because now you get to pay that forward to your daughters. Yes. When did it start to get difficult for you? beyond the childhood so you have this awesome you know kind of like fairy tale childhood right yeah and then when when did things start to shift get
1: hard yeah yeah it started uh so we lived in Merrill's park obviously there's some pros and cons when living 30 minutes from the city uh they just had had my brother and there were i feel like there's gangs everywhere nowadays um they were concerned with my brother growing up in Merrill's park and falling into the wrong side of the tracks. Sure. So they started, so we had family in Romeoville. Mm -hmm. So my dad started looking into buying a home in Romeoville, building a home. And once they were settled and everything was done, I, I, I think that was a turning point for me because they were stripping me away from my friends that were like my family. They were there with me all the time. I was, going to like an all minority school where I had uniforms, you know, all day, never had to, I mean, I never really, my parents bought me some clothes here and there. I mean, they bought what they could afford to transitioning into moving to a suburb where I have no friends. Um, I'm not, I mean, yes, I have family, but it's different. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm going to a school and where the the dynamic is different. There's not a lot of minorities. Yeah. Uh, there's just like a handful and I'm part of that now Yeah. and people were able to wear things I just didn't understand. It was like a culture shock for me because I'm like, I come from a school where it's like uniforms, So people don't get into fights about what they're wearing yeah. and I'm coming and everything's just different. Yeah. I struggled with that a lot.
0: How long did you struggle for to adapt mm-hmm. into that environment?
1: I feel like, I don't know if I ever got over it, to be honest. Uh, It was just one of those things that I kind of just adjusted with over time. I think maybe in high school it was starting to become like, okay, this is my reality. I need to stop being, I felt like I was sabotaging myself because I didn't want to do sports. I didn't want to be involved. I didn't want to make friends because I was so stuck on my friends from Merrill's park. Like they, they are my friends. They're going to be there for me my whole life. And And we kind of grew apart and that got me, that made me realize like, oh wait, they don't have a car. Like they're not able to come here, visit me all the time. Like I can't be the one to go there all the time. Like there's a two way street here Yeah. and having to realize that I've been doing this to myself the entire time. Like I missed out on being more involved in my high school career because I was so angry at my parents moving to this whole new place. Instead of me taking advantage, I self-sabotage
0: myself well in you know i i i can appreciate your accountability for something like that and i under i i can understand where you're coming from but you know i have i have very close friends of mine that are they're the quote-unquote military brats right and <clears throat> it really does affect kids those yeah. moves it really does affect the kids Absolutely. And those, um, those breakdowns of your social network, you know, now I think it's a little bit, maybe a little bit easier, a a smidge because the social media, you can at least least catch up, but you can't go next door. You you know, you're not, you're, you're not a neighborhood away from some of your closest people, some of your closest connections. No. And, you know, for, for, uh, for someone like yourself that had that fairy tale.
1: Yeah. And and, then it got stripped away. Yeah.
0: It's a screeching halt. I think anyone would have adaptation issues to, to, to the next environment, that culture shock, all of that stuff. I mean, my wife even talks about from when she moved, I, I always, um, I always screw it up, but she moved, her, her family was moved from Berwyn to Naperville.
1: Oh yeah. That's a big change
0: you guys would have that commonality and, and that connection where it was just like, you're kind of like a fish out of the water, trying to, trying to figure out your, okay. So it, it, it took you a little bit of time to do that high school is coming around. Are you noticing changes in mom? Are you noticing what, what's, what's happening?
1: So I noticed changes in my mom actually, when we were in Merrill's park, um, so I just like, want to say this disclaimer because I don't want to like paint a bad picture of like my parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, they both were, they both were in like fidelity, infidelity wise. They both did it to each other.
0: They both made mistakes. Yeah.
1: They both made mistakes. And I don't want to paint my mom or my dad in a picture. In that I just want to speak my truth and not have people just say like, Oh my gosh, she's like bashing her parents, but this is my truth. And this is yeah what happened. And I know there was a lot of infidelity issues, you know, they were young, 15 years old. And I, and I remember these fights, um, and as, as early as kindergarten, wow. you know, um, my dad, because I went to actually preschool because my dad would, I had half day preschool and my dad would pick me up and then I would stay with my dad. The remainder of the day I had morning preschool, so I would stay at my dad's job Um, very often. So there were times where he would take me on his lunch to McDonald's so that we could have uh, a good eat. And I think the first experience that I had um, before that, my dad and my mom had been fighting about my father being, you know, cheating. Uh And this time it was flipped. It was on my mom and being stuck in the middle was just something I, I guess I've just was the role that was there for me and I didn't ask for it. It was just there. And, um, that day we went to McDonald's and I see my mom's car in a park and my dad was not expecting that. And behold, we pull up to the car and my mom's with someone else.
0: Oh my goodness. Yeah. In uh, preschool.
1: In preschool.
0: Oh, wow. Holy yeah. shit, Valerie.
1: Pre- yeah, preschool, kindergarten. It's one of those because I remember they were like half days. I think that's, if I go back, I can say that's probably the first time in history, that I probably started numbing my feelings as into like or frozen. Like, what is going on? Yeah. And I, I, at that moment, when I saw what I saw, I didn't look at my mom differently. I was trying to. That's the oddest part. I wasn't. I didn't look at her differently. I wasn't even angry at her. I wanted to understand her, <laughs> but my mom was so embarrassed. And she she's like, I never wanted my daughter to see me that way. Yeah, I you know, the fights after that, I that's when I started noticing some changes. There was a lot of different people uh, coming in and out of my mom's life. Like we had neighbors that moved in and my mom became really good friends with them and she seemed happy. So I was happy for her. Yeah. You know, even though I had that fairy to fairyhood child childhood, it was also like there was moments where I know that. Um, mom was either drinking too much, but she was happy. So if she's happy, I'm happy.
0: Yeah, leave it alone. Happy, happy drunk. It's when they're belligerent that's the problem. Yeah,
1: right. Yes. So maybe as I'm getting, and it, that's kind of what it was. Like she hung out with friends. She was happy. I was happy. I think it started to get hard for me um, is when she did start to get belligerent. Mm. So she would have moments where we would be with her and her friends and she had too much to drink. And I feel like it wasn't necessarily that she had too much to drink. I felt like all the trauma and everything that she had experienced was seeping through yeah, okay. and she just didn't know how to handle it. And that's what I started to notice. I mean, like maybe 10, 10 is when I started but even then I started I saw her drinking, but not because she was depressed or anything. she was happy she enjoyed it mm-hmm. as I was getting older and and going into high school is when I started to notice like more of the episodes I would say okay the belligerent episodes
0: and what would a what would a belligerent episode look like?
1: Um it would just look like her blacking out, and then she would wake up and then she would call for me. And I would be pretty much like holding her hair while she's throwing up in the toilet or any time. I think that, I think that's a thing. Also, my sister was not really there. She ran away very young as well. Mm. So she was in and out dealing with her own stuff. So I pretty much, it was like, I was the older sibling. Yeah. So anything that my mom needed, anything, it was me. She called for me. And it was just like, again, another role that I was given. Yeah. And for me, I didn't care about, what she was doing. I just wanted to be there for her. She needed me. I need, I need to be there for her. Yeah. And it was like, sometimes she would break things. Sometimes she would talk in different voices. I mean, there was a lot of times where it started to get really bad. My sophomore and, and junior year of high school, like the mental breakdowns started more. Okay. Um, And when I say that, I mean, like, The drinking turned into lots of ambulance calls because she wouldn't wake up. I mean, her lips would turn purple, blue, but she's still breathing. But I mean, very shallow. Unreal. And, you know, having to call the ambulance and telling them this is what's going on. And she would get so upset with me. Why did you do this? You're just trying to lock me up. I'm trying to get you help. Yeah. So it was a lot of those incidents, or and then I think the major ones again with the infidelity, tying in with the infidelity. You know, there was just so much um, anger between both of my parents. I think they really loved each other, but at the same time, they didn't know how to let go and want to be separate, to live separate lives. Didn't know how to do that because they had been together for fifteen since they were fifteen years old, and now they're in their thirties. You know, over the last fifteen years, and my father felt responsible that if anything happened to my mom, he felt responsible. He's like, I can't leave. I said, but you're not helping either. Yeah. So we need to figure this out. I think some of the big traumatic experiences were it was a night that she had went out with friends, and it was her birthday, and that was a night where like shit hit the fan. Sorry, like excuse
0: my friend. No, no, please, please Um, speak freely.
1: She, I had just came home from being. Out with my friends, and it was like all of a sudden it's quiet, and then all of a sudden it's just like things breaking in the house everywhere. Everything's breaking. Mom's fighting, Dad's fighting, and my dad's just trying to hold her, and I'm just trying to hold her. There's glass everywhere. You know, I am like don't know what to do. I said I'm calling the police, and my dad's like no, and I'm like yes, and I unfortunately had to make the hard call. I called the police. Yeah, I called the ambulance. Wow, and uh, they put her in jail that's the first time that they put her in jail. And I think that's, I feel like me and my mom were really close at, at, at a point, but then I got tired of lying for her and I stopped, I got tired of being put in the middle. Yeah, And I told her I was not doing it anymore. And I also told my father the same thing. I'm not doing this. He never really asked me to do that, but I just needed to say it so that I'm a child. I don't want to be put in the middle of any of this. Mm -hmm. You guys need to figure it out. And I think that's the turning point where me and my mom, my mom started to dislike me. I don't think I know she loved me, but I think I wasn't going with her game. Yeah. So she didn't make things easy for me.
0: And now what, what did that look like?
1: Um, it, it, it was as like, I mean, like cleaning the house is something that's expected. Obviously in Mexican culture, you have to have a spotless clean house all the time. That is something that you has to happen. Um, so it was just like cleaning all the time and asking her, mom, can I please go out? Oh no, but you said if I cleaned, but I, I can go. Yeah, I said that, but you're not doing that. Mm. I mean, as far as like, she wouldn't give me talks about like my body and my body changing. Um, I would ask her for things and she would be like, no. I mean, as simple as like, training bras or like undergarments and my dad had to take me. Oh. Uh, that was embarrassing. Yeah. My mom never did any of those things with me. It's like she just, she was just anti. So like my bad, my dad bought me a purse or like a perfume. She would get so upset. She would say, why are you buying your daughter perfume or a purse? That's only gifts that you get for your wife. Mm. It was almost as if it turned into jealousy Yeah, with me. Yeah. So that wasn't easy. And um, I think there was also like a couple of times where the belligerent episodes turn into her trying to commit suicide. Mm. There was, there was uh, after that incident where she went to jail, she was not very happy with me because she in her mind, I was just trying to put her away. I was trying to put her away and get her out of my life so that I can my dad can be happy and he can live. and And that wasn't why I did that. I didn't know. She Was going to be put in jail, but at the time I didn't understand the illness itself, yeah, the alcoholism, and that her mind was not clear, yeah. Um, and I, after that, there would be same similar it's, it's just seemed like more of the breaking glass and breaking things and having it just seemed more extreme every time. And and I feel like in that, she left, like she left the house. She left us, it feels like a year, but it probably was just like seven months. But when you're a teenager, it feels so much longer. That's a
0: long time for mom to be gone.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So my dad and I, you know, we were just there with my brothers at the time and she left and she would call me and she would say, I need your dad to give me money. And I said, I'm having my dad give you money. You left us. You don't even come check on us. You don't even do anything. Like how, how dare you call me? And that day she's like, well, I'm going to come for you. I'm going to come for you. And you better watch out. That's not exactly what she said, but yeah. in so many yeah. women's terms. So she, that day, we were, I was terrified. I mean, so terrified that I didn't even, I, I went to my uncle's house to stay there. I was up all night. And then to find out that she got into an accident and was in the hospital. Wow. She was on her way to come get me, in her words, and uh, ended up crashing. Thank God she didn't hit anyone, yeah. but she was intoxicated. Man. She broke her sternum bone, damaged her brand new car. My dad bought her. And I was so angry at my dad because he took her back. That's when the anger started for me. She literally was trying to come after me. And it didn't feel safe. How could it? No, not at all. A a lot of suicide watchers. So even then, like after that, I mean, she just was angry. She was really angry, and I see her pouring her drinks now. It's not for fun anymore. Yeah, it's. I feel like she's dependent now. It's not for fun, and um, it was a lot of. I think the next next extreme was she was trying to commit suicide, so they put her in. We we I called nine one one again, and they put her in. Uh, what is it? Surveillance surveillance for twenty four hours. They held yeah. her in. So that was the first time. So she did it through a total, I think, of three times. And I think on the third time, they admitted her to the psychiatric ward. Wow, man. And she was really, really angry with me because I'm the one who called. And her, I don't know what her experience was like. I never, I didn't go see her in the psychiatric ward. I refused to see her. And my father was like, you should go. I said, no. I don't want to go see someone who literally put themselves in there. She's doing this to herself, Yeah. but not understanding at the time, how hard it is to break the alcoholism.
0: Yeah. But if I can interject, please on this, it's easy to blame yourself. It's really easy. It's easy to, To look down at yourself and say, you know, I didn't understand the complexities of this addiction. I didn't understand the complexities of the trauma that my mom went through. And that's, and that's, and that's all fine and well. But you were not supported. You were not protected. You were not given a chance And you were completely put in an unfair situation. Yeah. You were the only person that was literally calling for outside help because your dad was in a cloud too. Yeah. He was in a fog. He was, he was in a mist. You were the, you were the responder. You were the one that was holding accountability. Like, I, I don't know how many people have rewarded you for a thankless job. Like I know motherhood can be a thankless job, but what, what you did.
1: Thank you. Sorry. I'm going to start to,
0: that's okay. Let them go. Let them go. Because what you did, Valerie, so many people don't have the strength to do. You it pick, was hard. You picked up the phone and you called for help. Not once. Every single time that her addiction got the better of her. To protect your brothers. To protect the neighborhood. To protect you. To protect your dad. And it just kept getting turned against you. Yeah. It, it kept getting put on you. You became the scapegoat for someone else's problems and it's not just someone else it's not joe blow off the street it's your mom yeah so you're dealing with all of this stuff and you're in high school still so what does high school look like for you how are you even able to function get grades how, like um it was hard
1: I, I am not going to lie, like, I freshman year, I was, like, all for it. I was super excited. Um, I don't think I did anything my freshman year. Um, i coming from Merrill's Park, like, I, not, I don't want to brag and say, like, oh, I'm the smartest person. I was doing well um, okay. in in Merrill's Park. And S- I actually. School
0: clicked for you. It, you school,
1: Yeah. Okay. I loved school. Okay, School was my thing. I even tested into an academy when before I left Merrill's Park.
0: Oh, like a, like a STEM program?
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, wow. Okay.
1: Yeah. So I was actually going to be a part of this academy until we transferred here to Romeoville. So then I felt good about myself, you know, because I'm like, wow, I'm really smart. Like I got into this program. Like I'm great. And uh, coming into, again, the culture shock and realizing that I'm not in a special program, like what makes me special? And I started to feel and um, sorry. This is good. Like, am I good enough? Like, what am I working for? What I started to ask myself those questions, like, what am I working so hard for? So freshman year was like, I need to do great. I want to feel good about myself. So I did. I did great my freshman year. Sophomore year comes around. I started doing soccer. I'm like, I need to do something to get me out of the house. Yeah. Get me motivated. I need. I. I. I just need to do that. And um, I had friends, and I would vent to them, and I would talk to them about it, and and they would listen to me cry. My junior year, um, I I didn't do soccer. Um, my junior year was probably the hardest. And when I look back at my transcripts, it was definitely the hardest. My grades dropped significantly Yeah. because that's when um, a lot of the episodes my mom had, it was around that time. So I couldn't uh, really focus in school.
0: How could you?
1: Yeah, I couldn't. Um, I was really trying really hard, but I felt the, that's the worst that I ever felt about myself because I, n- and not so much that my dad did anything to make me feel bad for calling 911. He never said that to me, but it was just like those things of like, like my mom, it, it like whatever my mom said, it's like he kind of just went along with. Yeah yeah he wanted to make her happy because he loved her so much, and yeah. not that he ever reprimanded me, but it was just kind of like never talked about
0: It was a perfect codependent relationship,
1: yeah, he just never never talked about it, and it, I always felt guilty for calling nine one one like that's how bad it was. like I always felt guilty, but I did it anyway because I knew like deep down that was the right thing to do, yeah, whether she hated me or not i I can say in like my lifetime that I really tried. <laughs> to help her so it was hard and then i got pregnant at okay. the end of my junior year
0: okay wow it, it, w- w- just you are a remarkable person thank you i love i i love that that the tears are flowing it, tears are coming in my eyes too. I haven't I,
1: talked about. I mean, no one's really asked me. You know, like, how was high school for you? Like, what was your childhood like? It's just, I, I just, I. No one knows. <laughs> yeah.
0: In in the tears, the tears cleanse. I I I talk to retired special operations. I talk to retired fire, first responders. I talk to current firefighters. Uh, police officers. You, you, I, I talk to people in the, in the more, the more we can let go and let our body release these tears and feel. I agree. The more whole we get to become.
1: It was like the opposite for me, I guess, like coming from a culture that's so machismo and mental illness is such, so, so taboo. It was like, if you're strong, you're strong. If you don't cry. Right. You're strong if you hold all the feelings in together. But as I it was almost I don't know how or why my mind works the way that it does, but for me it just felt like this doesn't feel good. Yeah. I feel like I'm I'm about to explode. Yeah. Something's not right. I don't think that's true.
0: And so when when the school okay, so it's your junior year just for lack of a better word, all hell broke loose. Pretty at a, much. at home, yeah. and yeah. you're you're feeling the effects at school, yes, you're trying to fit in. you stop doing soccer you're you're just at this point, you're in survival mode,
1: yeah, I started drinking, but not like heavily, but like you know, social pressure, yeah. you know, I had a boyfriend my parents didn't know about, even though I asked they were like, no, but I you know, teenagers do what they want to do, of you course
0: back. of course. <laughs> you know?
1: So I, 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 yeah, I was rebellious in that, you know, so whenever I would hang out with my boyfriend and there was drinks involved, yeah, I started drinking, not to the point where I was like super drunk or it was just, I wanted to fit in. Yeah. I wanted to fit in.
0: And that's okay. And, and, And it's okay to, to have a boyfriend that allows you to, to feel good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's the only time I did, which is why I did want to hang out with him all the time because it was like a a escape away from where I was dealing with.
0: So the, so the pregnancy happens, does everybody come out of the woodwork and, and realize, Hey, hey, we, we made the past, we made our mistakes. You know, let's, let's get behind this because I, I was thrown out of the house at 15 when I was pregnant. Um, what, what happened for you? Did, did, Did your parents step up and did you get the support that you absolutely needed?
1: Um, I couldn't hide my pregnancy. I like went straight up to my mom and I said, listen, I remember exact conversation that I had, exact words that I said. I said, I, you're going to be really upset with me, but this is not a reflection of you. This is a reflection of my decisions and what I've done and even though you're going to feel like it's you, I'm pregnant. And she was livid. I fucking knew it. Oh, my fucking God. Oh, what are what are you going to fucking do? Like, she was just cursing, cursing, cursing. Not even, I, I'm going to call your fucking father. And it was just like, oh, shit, here we go. Yeah. Um, my dad says this doesn't happen, but I swear I wouldn't have remembered it any other way. And he came home. He couldn't even look at me. He, it was just like disgust, you know. I get it, you know. I was young, and they didn't want this life for me. I was their golden child. I yeah. was the smart one. Yeah. I was the one that was supposed to graduate high school. I was the one. I was the smarter one. How could I make such a stupid decision? It was like they looked at me less than I was like Jesus. I'm not doing drugs. I'm just I'm 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 pregnant. Like right. I get it. Like I I. But coming from what they came from, like at the same time, I just, I, I couldn't understand. They didn't want this life for me. Right. Unfortunately, I didn't either, but I put myself in a situation and abortion was a talk. I just couldn't go through with it. I I just couldn't. I, I said to myself, if I put myself in this position, I need to figure a way. Yeah. And that night, my dad was so upset with me, like, we started talking, conversation, ended up to a big fight, and I left. But he also told me to leave. So it was kind of those things. So I had to, you know, show up at my boyfriend's doorstep because I didn't have a cell phone at the time and knock on the door and say, hey, uh, my parents just kicked me out. So I have to stay here. Wow. Unfortunately. And his parents were not happy at all. His mom was upset, but she didn't yell at me. The dad was very just like my dad very closed off, very angry, just looking at me with disgust and it felt like the worst feeling. It just felt like everyone looked at me as if I was unworthy,
0: yeah, like shame and ridicule,
1: and I guess it you know no one wants to see their child pregnant, and I get it i i i my fifteen year old daughter like I don't want that for her right but but um. And I get it, but I, I would be disappointed, but I would never make her feel unworthy. Right. So it was uh, not so good experience. Um, having to live with the father of my child, we both so young. He was caught up in like smoking weed all the time, drinking. It just seemed to be more with him and living with him was not ideal. So there was some... I wouldn't say he beat me, um, but there were times where his actions were questionable. Yeah. Um, you know, he was cheating on me through during my pregnancy as I was living with him. I mean, his friend lived next door. He was literally doing it next door. Wow. So, um, yeah, it was just not a good time.
0: No. Especially, I, God, it's such a tender, it's such a tender time and it's such, it's such an important time for a, a mom to connect with that that little bean in their belly and yeah. de-stress and prepare and right. do do all of these natural things and it ag- again you're in fucking survival
1: yeah yeah his mom helped a lot in the ways that my mom didn't it's like my mom once I left, it was like, whatever, I had to do it. So you have to, too. And um, her, his mom helped me, you know, get on Medicaid, the state insurance and get through WIC programs and to help me be able to serve, uh, you know, support my daughter. I never had a job. I had no idea what to do. Um, I was just pretty much frozen the entire summer there. Just like, what am I going to do with myself? I have a child now that's going to come. What am I going to do with myself? Yeah. And the turning point with me living with him was he was spiraling out of control. He was excited about the pregnancy, believe it or not. Like he he wanted the baby, um, but he just was dealing so much with his own stuff that he just spiraled down. Mm. I mean, it like the alcohol, the smoking. And I think the last straw where it was uh, he ended up getting he ended up going to jail. He ended up going to jail. So his mom was like, you can't be here. You got to go back home. Holy
2: shit. I was like,
1: oh. here I haven't talked to my parents in months. And here I go again. And this time, my I, I had no, it was like I was isolated. I had no phone. I couldn't get in contact with anyone. Anytime I asked for like any like necessities like toiletries or things like that, the father of my child like would deny those things to me. So his mom would buy them for me. Um and it was just like the worst time feeling like I was a burden to everyone. Yeah. So when I came to my dad and I I just cried. I said, I I know I fucked up, but I had nowhere to go. What am I supposed to do? Yeah. You're you're my parents. Like I don't what am I supposed to do? And he, at that point, I think he realized that he was really hard on me. And I told him, I was like, I still want to go to school. I have all the credits. I never skipped class. I never got a detention. Like, I never did anything so horrible. And he's like, no, you can't go to school. You have to work. I fought so hard to get where I got. I said, I want to go back to school. Yeah. But he said, "You can stay here. I am not going to leave you out on the street like my parents did to me when I was pregnant with your mom." So he was a little bit more open and understanding. I just think that that big push of me leaving was like, "Oh shit!" She I kicked her up, but she left too. You like uh, it was like both of them. It was like a mutual decision. So I don't want to put it all on him. Yeah. Either you know, because I felt like I had to because that's what they did, so I had to do it too. Yeah. And um. My mom, she was not happy. She was like, what are you doing here? You should be on the street just like I was. This is why you're never going to learn. Because (sighs) your dad's taking you back. How dare you come back here? While you're pregnant. I, I, I was so mad at her, but now like being a mom and where I'm at... That's all
0: she knew.
1: Yeah. She didn't know any different.
0: It still doesn't take the pain away.
1: No.
0: Oh God, Valerie. I couldn't. Ima- I I couldn't imagine what you felt at this time of your pregnancy, being treated like that by your own mom. Just trying to, f- just trying to figure out where you're going to lay your head, where you're going to lay your baby's head. Wow.
1: Luckily, I'm, I'm grateful. She she was really angry for me the, the remainder of the time. Um, she didn't really talk to me. She, heard my father got into big arguments about me being there.
0: In front um, of you, where you you just heard the rep- the repercussions.
1: Yeah, yeah, they got into a lot of big fights about it. She didn't throw me a baby shower. I mean, she didn't. She never took me to the doctor. Wow. Um, it was all my well my my mother in law at the time, or my ex mother, or her, they father, my child's mom. Uh, she took me to majority of the appointments. Um, she made me a baby shower you know, it was somewhat enjoyable yeah. At the baby shower was happy. Like, Oh my God, this is what it feels like uh, to have people appreciate you bringing a life into this world. Yeah. Uh, Even though being so young. Yeah. Um, but I convinced my father to uh enroll me back into high school so that I could finish my senior year. Good for you. I, I told him I, I, If I'm going to do anything, I need to walk this stage with my daughter. Hmm. I have to. So he re-enrolled me and I had to like figure out all like what's going to happen when I have the baby. How am I going to get my homework? Like who's going to help me watch the baby when she's born? I only took like a month off, I think, uh, so that I could go back right away. And my neighbor, thank God, I feel like things happen for a reason my neighbor um, her mom which was my friend her mom wasn't working at the time so she was able to help me watch my daughter while I went to school oh wow I couldn't pay her she didn't care she just helped yeah.
0: she she got she she got her mom she got the, she got her mama a time again and <laughs> one the beautiful little babies right yeah. right up on her chest and chilling out yep
1: yeah and that's how I finished high school I I, but I had to do all of that it was like I was my parents just gave me a a roof over my head everything else all the logistics I had to figure out on
0: my own yeah like getting you know and what what was it like baby wakes up at night mom's drunk like what do you what was that like like was that that a minefield
1: i feel like that time it got i don't know if maybe when the baby came maybe she felt something different or she there was a softness to her i felt like she wanted to be happy but she didn't allow herself to be happy so she would drink but the episode stopped okay so not as so far like completely stopped but she would still be drunk but not as belligerent okay there was like a sense of calm at that time. Okay. It's when my daughter was like two, three is when it's, would it was like waves, waves of the instability of her, like mental instability, like the belligerentness, like it was waves. Okay. So I would always try to either put my daughter in daycare to make sure that she wasn't at home to witness my mom. Yeah. There was like there. I wouldn't want to say that there weren't times that my mom watched my daughter. There, there was. Yeah. But my mom never acted. She was very motherly to my daughter in the way that I wish she was with me.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She, she would. So, she was the grandma hero. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I, I at least thank her for that because my daughter has nothing but great memories with her. Yeah.
0: But man that that doesn't make it easier for you. No. So you graduate high school, you bring in a beautiful little girl into the world. What comes next? Daughter's 2 or 3. I mean are are you working? Yes. I you know so, what, what's that look like?
1: So I actually enrolled into college at the time. I went to start to be a nurse. Um, it was Northwestern Business College at the time I went. My dad came with me to enroll, to take some classes. um, And I was working as well, my first job at Toys R Us. I'll never forget because I bought my daughter lots of toys. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Um,
1: I was super excited. You know, things finally seemed to kind of just like smooth out, you know. Um, Parents, his parents were helping me watch my daughter while I was in school. She was in daycare if like I was at work. So they were helping me a lot. Um, It fortunately, it just seemed to be me and her father, even though we, you know, it was we separated when she was one years old. I mean, there was just there was just not it was just not going to work. We're just two completely different people. And I was okay with that. But also the drinking for him and him being high all the time. I mean, it was starting to take a toll. Like, I don't want you around my daughter. I don't want you doing these things. And I would talk to his parents about it. And again, with the, you know, he didn't beat me. But there were moments that were questionable, you know, like him grabbing my wrist and trying to, like, hold it really hard, Mm -hmm. you know, or like um, he, he, he had smacked me when I was pregnant when I was living with him. You know, it didn't happen all the time, but it seemed to get worse as time went on.
0: Can I, can I, can I say something really quick?
1: Yeah.
0: Any physical touch that is meant to cause physical pain or overpower Mm -hmm. is abuse. It doesn't matter if he hit you close fist it doesn't matter if he hit you open hand. It doesn't matter if he grabbed your wrist. It doesn't matter if he pushed you. It doesn't matter if he kicked you, stepped on your toe, did a pressure point on you. It does not matter. It's Yeah, abuse. I
1: guess like they're like, he didn't beat you, so it shouldn't be that bad. Like you shouldn't have to deal with, like you're okay. Thank you for that. Yeah. I think the turning point I was getting worried about leaving him with leaving my daughter with him.
0: Of course. Yeah.
1: And I was expressing my concern to his mom and I didn't want to do it, but you know, his parents were also working. So we all had to kind of work together as a team. So I was starting not to do well in school again because I, and working, I was working. I never called off, but I, it was hard for me to work and go to school and be with my daughter. Yeah. So, i i think the turning point was um one i think it was one night or a weekend that i let him have my uh, like spend time with my daughter and he was at his grandparents house so i thought there's other people around this should be okay yeah um and it was for the most part he did well with her you know with his family but when i got there to pick her up is when again shit hit the fan um he was drunk oh And he had made it seem as if like something had happened to Jasleen. And I instantly went there like, what's going on? Not in a defensive way, but just like, where's my daughter? What's going on? I'm panicking because he's saying, I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you about my daughter with Jasleen. And I said, and I just went straight to his grandma's house because I'm like, I I can't do this right now. You're not telling me you're drunk. You're slurring. I need to figure out where she is. Yeah. So I go and I knock on the door and I open, they open the door for me and I see her walking. And I just instantly grabbed her, and I was just like, awesome. But for whatever reason, he got angry. He was just angry. And when I was holding her, he pushed me, and me and my daughter fell down on the floor. And I didn't understand why he was so angry. I I didn't get it. So I just... His family was like, he's drunk. We got him. Don't worry. Let, grab your grab your stuff. And I'm just like, I left stuff there. I said, I just want her. I'll, I'll buy stuff later. Let's go. Yeah. So I went and my cousin didn't live too far from me. And I called my cousin. I said, this has just happened to me. And I think he did hit me in the face. I just can't remember everything because my cousin said I had like a red mark on my face. Mm. And she goes, you need to go file a police report. Enough of this already. Yeah. So I did. Uh, she went with me to file a police report, and then they told me, you know, you can get a restraining order. So this was when the first restraining order came.
0: The first. The first. <laughs> Shit.
1: Um, and his parents were not happy. They were angry with me because I put their son in jail, and it was almost like you're lying. I can't believe you would do this. We're not going to help you take care of your daughter anymore. Okay. Lost my job. Quit school. And I'm just rock bottom again. Trying to figure out what am I going to do? And then a couple months go by, I guess he moved back in with his parents. And since I had no job, they decided to... uh, start a custody battle to say that I was an unfit mom because I was not providing for my daughter and they wanted to take her away from me. Wow. I didn't know at the time I had gotten into a really bad car accident when I was six years old uh, by a drunk driver and I had a settlement that I had no idea about. So my father said you have money let's go get that out now. (laughs) So... That's, that's how I was able to stay home with my daughter for a couple of years and able to help my dad pay for lawyer fees. Um, but it didn't work out in their favor because one, I was not a crack addict. I was not a prostitute right. and they didn't understand that even though I don't have a job that I'm still with my parents and my parents are helping me provide for my daughter. Yeah. So it kind of blew up in their face Good. and they had to pay me child support oh, because they were not providing. I did not live with them. So they were just like, What the hell, man? She put my kid in jail. And what the fuck? Now she's all good and dandy. Well, I was not good and dandy, because I still am I'm still dealing with what your son did to me. Yeah. And they were just in denial. And uh the restraining order uh lasted that particular one they were like threatening me saying like well if you continue if you go to court and continue to have this restraining order we're gonna say we were all there as witnesses we're gonna say that it was all you and we're gonna make sure you don't get this restraining order so I didn't go to court I dropped it I left it as is and I didn't deal with him for some time and then uh he ended up getting married with his he's still with his wife now and uh the second incident uh at that i'm just like rattled by him so any movement by him anything i see from him i'm just instantly frozen i don't want to deal with him i don't want to talk to him yeah but i would talk to him you know if he texted me about my daughter i would text back i didn't want to hold my daughter away from i didn't want to keep him away from her but he was not healthy i knew my signs in my mom and i saw it in him yeah And I didn't want that. So the second incident was uh, I had just came home. It was like 1030 at night and I kept getting phone calls and I, and all of a sudden I didn't answer his phone calls. And then all of a sudden I pulled up to get home and he's pulled up right behind me as if he had been watching me the whole time. And he's,
0: that's creepy.
1: It's really creepy. And then all of a sudden I'm like, what are you doing? Like you're married. Why are you here at my house at night? Like what, what, what are you doing? And he comes around to my daughter's door and I locked the door and he was trying to take my daughter and I'm running around the car. And as I'm running around the car, I'm like calling the police, letting them know I've had a previous restraining order on him. I don't want him here. He's been stalking me. I don't know what's going on. I I don't, he's hit me before. I, I can't do this right now. So they said, sir, you're going to have to leave. I, they told me to file a police report and to do another restraining order. So I did the second time. This time he's married now. This time he's living with his wife. So his parents really didn't have to say like, oh, you're doing this again to my son. Mm -hmm. So his wife was very furious with me. um, But she also had to sit in court and I did not miss the court date. I made sure that I went this time because I said no one's going to intimidate me into what I think I'm doing what's best for me and my daughter. If he can show up at any time of my house, what is next?
0: So empowering. That's so awesome that even after all of this stuff that you had, you took, you you took the courage, you took the fight to protect your daughter, to protect you, to protect your guys' livelihood for the future. You stood up against it.
1: I did. It wasn't easy. Um, But I felt like if I just let it sit back and just looking back to my parents and my dad, I felt like he was just letting it sit back. I had to do something. I wouldn't be able to sleep at night knowing I did nothing. So I did. Restraining order was on him for the seven years. Wow. My daughter's 15 now. She was really mad at me for a long time. She was able to see him through modifications of the restraining order. So I just want to make that clear that I did not keep her away. But like um, she didn't understand a lot of things growing up. And I tried my best not to talk badly or ill about her father because at the end of the day, that's still her father. And I, I wanted her to love him. And if she made I wanted her to make her own judgments about her father.
0: Yeah. So you took it out on the, you took it on the chin again.
1: Yeah. And throughout this time that I have the restraining order, I'm just sitting here like, what can I do super quick for school? Like what's a short program that I can do that I can make better money than minimum wage. So then that's when I started looking at a certified nursing, certified nursing assistant.
2: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: And so I, it was like eight weeks for that. So I did that. And, um, then I found a job and I was working, I was doing third shift. My daughter was in kindergarten and, um, it just, it was really hard. It was really hard because just like half days and like, it, it was just hard. And then after that, I'm just like, this is just not fulfilling me. This is not getting me where I need to be. Um, I, I was working retail. So I started as like a regular, a, Uh, employee as retail, like, you know, clerk assistants and (laughs) register and all of that. Um, And then I would work my way up to like accessory specialists and then I've worked my way up to assistant manager. But throughout the time that I'm working, I started going to um, I wanted to dab into modeling. So I tried to do some of that. But again, just not secure with myself and kind of just let that go to the back burner. I was trying so many different things because I just wanted to feel good about myself. Oh my God, my mom was so mad at me at that time. She, she made it really hard for me too. She's just like, you you're, should just be working one job. What are you doing with yourself? Like you're not, you're working, but then you're not even, it was like, you need to work to support your daughter, but you're never here with her. So what are you doing? I'm like, I'm by myself, mom. Like, what do you, what do you want me to do? That's why I, I, I would hope that you could help me. Help me, please. And it came with a cost, you know, it came with her constantly belittling me, like, but she did it, but it was just constant belittling Damn. all the time.
0: God damned if you do and damned if you don't. And it hasn't let up for you ever. No. So, I mean, going back and we talk about this fairy tale, you run until the streetlights, come on and all those different things. That's awesome that you can still have that in your memory. And that that's awesome that you could still have that, but you were dealing with bullshit all along.
1: Yeah. 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 I think, uh, I had a really tight knit group of friends in my twenties that I would spend a lot of time with. And that helped me cope. They made me feel like I was a part of a family. Mm. Like I spent so much time with them. Um, unfortunately we're not friends anymore. You know, people grow apart. People have different opinions. It's it, it just, it just happens. But I'm grateful for that time that I had with them, um, because they made me feel welcome. And that was the first time I had ever felt like anyone cared or like even my friend at that time, one of my, well, ex best friend, um, always pushing me and saying like, Val, like try to stick to one thing. I said, I know, but I'm trying to figure out what works for me. Yeah. Like, you know, I want to be able to say, I tried it all. I did it all. And this is what works for me. Because she was like, oh, my God, you go from CNA school to working management in retail to going back to be a phlebotomist to trying to model to (laughs) and then go to uh, broadcasting school. So broadcasting school was like the next step that I had taken. I wanted to write my own show. I wanted to write a book. I'm like, I feel like I have this in me. But then the reality, like, I finished, I graduated, I ended up having internships with some modeling agencies, and then I worked for Judge Mathis, which I think that was, like, the highest point of my life. Like, I felt so good. Everyone knew who Judge Mathis was. I remember seeing him on WCIU growing up. Like, that was, like, so funny. I I just couldn't believe that from where I was to, to where I'm at now, I was just, like, all my hard work, it paid off. Yeah. It was, that was the best I ever felt about myself. Wow.
0: Vindication.
1: Yeah. Like I'm worth it. I'm worth something.
0: Yes. People, people, people recognize me. I'm, I'm actually a human being. Yeah. <laughs> I, people actually enjoy my company.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I had to make a decision with that because as much as I loved and I'm like, I'm in my dream, this is what I want. I was spending a lot of time away from my daughter. I was working 60, 70, sometimes 80 hour weeks, not two weeks, one week. And I was away from her a lot. Yeah. And when the show ended for that season, I, my, I saw my daughter. I just saw a decline in her. She was not happy, not usual bubble self. She missed me. And I had to make a decision. I can't go back to the one thing that I really, really wanted. Not to say that any single mom can't do it, but I feel like you have to have a good support system. I just did not have that. Yeah. So I made the decision not to go or pursue any television or any type of job of that nature because... My, my, my daughter
0: needed me and that was more important for me. Good for you. I, I, and I say good for you because I have no idea how hard that was after everything that you've gone through, after everything that so much was taken from you, so much of your innocence, so much of your time. As a teenager. Yeah. This this was about you and then you realized this is about my daughter.
1: Yeah. but And I have to say this because I feel that even though a lot of people were so disappointed in me being pregnant at such a young age, I feel like for me and my purpose, she was... Sent to me at that time to give me purpose because, to be honest, I don't know if I would be here today talking to you. Yeah, had she not,
0: you were just pushed to the brink of the end. Yeah. (sighs) Wow. And I mean it. It makes perfect sense. That makes sense to me. It, yeah. it our brain, our our bodies, to self preservation. And at no point did you have the opportunity to care about yourself.
1: No, uh, I didn't. But I would try to find times where i started getting into my family my my grandma my dad's side is very spiritual woman
2: Mm
1: -hmm. um and i started getting into yoga or i tried to like start getting into meditation um to help with coping and and i started doing more research on that and i felt good i felt good um i think that also helped me a lot at in that time of trying to like journal and meditation, meditation and being in nature was like the two things that I was doing the most. Okay. In in, in that time and not even realizing that I was probably doing it throughout my whole life. Uh, but the yoga, yoga helped, but I feel for me, it was more of the meditation.
0: Okay. More well, of, like that mindfulness meditation and
1: yes, of yeah. realizing and telling myself that it's not okay what you went through, but now we have to deal with what has happened and it's affecting you now
0: i I literally have one perfect tear that is just <laughs> like it hasn't it hasn't quite <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't quite hit my beard yet. it is just trickling down and i'm j- i am I don't even want to touch it but i
1: i know my so like
0: <laughs> you are such a remarkable person thank you <laughs> you literally could have grabbed a, a a brown paper bag with a permanent marker. Put fuck it on the bag.
1: Yeah.
0: Go pick your poison of what you want to put in that bag. Yeah. And and ride the wave. Because, yeah. because that's what mom did. That's what her mom did. That's what her mom's. Like, we're talking about a generational trauma, a generational addiction.
1: Yeah.
0: But something so strong in you something so powerful you want a completely different path.
1: I I do. And I feel like that started as, as so young. I mean, I saw my sister, I love my sister, but I, I did see her make decisions that were questionable. I, the people that she hung around with, I did not like. And like, like, for me, like, this is your culture. this are your people. This is who you hang out with. And for me, I, I it didn't feel right for me. It didn't sit right with me. Mm-hmm. It didn't sit right with me that how am I in... If this is like popping in my head at like 10 years old. How is it that I'm getting an education now? I'm in school. I'm learning. But you mean to tell me that it stops once I graduate high school? Yeah, It's just no, nothing made sense to me. And I thank God every day... And I don't know if it's just my experiences that I've gone through or why I think the way that I do. I always ask, like, why do I think the way that I do? I, I cannot let things go without a logical explanation. Mm. Like there has to be something logical behind it. And even like in my pregnancy, like, what do you mean? My life is not over. Yeah, It's not over my, I, I have a little bump in the road. I wouldn't even call it a bump in the road. I'm now in charge of setting an example for my daughter, it made me, it like made me mature. It was like, I was a teenager one day and then the moment I had her, I was an instant adult. Yeah. And that's the best way I could describe the switch. Yeah. Like the switch went on instantly. Yeah. That I'm a mom. I have to set an example. Yeah. I cannot be like my mother. Yeah. I cannot be like my father.
0: That's a hell of a constitution. That is a hell of a constitution.
1: And I, I, di- I'm not perfect. I've made mistakes. Of course, I've failed relationships, and but again, I had to learn through those experiences, and and I did. Mm-hmm. I always tell my daughter now because she's like, "Oh, mom, I think you could have been so much more in life, mom. You could have been so much more," and I took that away from you, is what she she would tell me. Oh wow! And I told her you didn't take anything away from me if anything it's because of you that I have the mindset that I have it's because of you that I am the woman that I am you were everything that I I gained so much more from this whole experience you were never the mistake I always felt like you were my angel that was sent for me Because they knew I needed you.
0: That is so beautiful.
1: And I always tell her, yeah, maybe. Maybe I could have been more in life. But it wouldn't have felt the same. Because now I get to share it with you. And you get to see me. And what I expect for you. So I always tell her, um, yes, we're all going to make mistakes. Yes, I'm going to be disappointed in you for things that I don't like that you're doing. Yes. And, but I told her, but I think the most important thing from all of that is that you're learning. Because if you keep, it, once you, I always got this one quote stuck in my head is if it's a mistake if it only happens once, it's a choice afterwards if you keep repeating the same mistake. And that's one thing that stuck with me. And I, and, and that's what I told her, the learning and how you deal with it moving forward is what's going to separate you from everyone else. You have to learn from your experiences. If you don't, and there's no growth and there's, then I feel that is, then I would be really sad.
0: Such great advice for all of us, let let alone uh, a child.
1: Yeah. So I, I love her. She's, I, I mean, I don't want to mature her in—in in fast, but at the same time, I, I didn't really express everything. We've just like gone through, uh, like we're in therapy now, both of us, since the passing awesome. of my mom. Um, and I think that's helped us quite a bit. Um, but she's now hearing my past. She's now hearing it because I didn't want to tell her too young. I didn't want to traumatize her. So now she's, she's hearing it now.
0: So when, when did you find, or when did hygiene find you?
1: So my friend, one of my great friends that I'm still friends with now, um, she was a dental assistant at the time. And at the time I just had jazz or I didn't have jazz, but jazz was in the picture she was a little bit older and I'm like, you know, I had, you know, just stopped going. I just gave up my career for broadcasting and uh, trying to figure out what I'm going to do. So I ended up finding a job to be like a medical receptionist in an office. But my friend along the way was like, I feel like you're good with people. And I feel like you should research this, this hygiene. It's a flexible schedule. You can make your hours. You can still be there for your daughter while making a living. You can provide for both. And I said, all right, well, I'll, I'll take a look into it. I started researching. I'm like, oh, this seems like a lot. I don't know if I could clean teeth. I, 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 don't, I don't know. But for her, she's like, it's so, you get to see hear stories. And I'm like, oh, I like stories. I like to hear people's stories. Um, and... So I started taking like prerequisite classes for hygiene, College of DuPage. At that time, I had found out that I was pregnant with my second daughter. Wow. And I was like, oh, fuck. Now I really <laughs> have to. I can't do this anymore. I have to get my shit together. I have to have a career now. I have two. I have a baby on the way. Like This is, this is not okay. So I was pregnant taking prerequisite classes and uh, trying to find. I found three different schools to apply to and hoping and crossing my fingers. Cause I had heard that hygiene was so hard to get into. And I kept, and I was into the meditation and to manifestation. And like, this is, I would write in my journals, I'm getting into hygiene school. I'm getting a career. Like I'm, I'm doing these things. And I would do that for myself every year. And I found that I was, I was reaching these goals. I was, I was actually doing it. And, um, so I kept telling myself, like, hey, this is a long shot. I'm pregnant. I'm just three months pregnant, and here I am, prerequisite classes. Out. Who knows if I'm going to get in later on? And uh, things were not quite okay with my relationship, but that's another story for another day. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I just started doing it, and I was hoping and praying, and I applied, and I got waitlisted. Uh, so I was like, it's okay, because you know what? I'm still taking prerequisite classes it's not a big deal. It's going to, my time will come. My time will come. I just kept being positive. Like my time's going to come. And I think that's another thing that helped me. I never, I always noticed that I was so negative about everything. I always had a negative outlook that nothing went ever my way because I was so negative. So when I started twisting things around and saying like, oh, this is going to happen for me. It may not happen in the way that it, I want it to, but it's going to happen in the way that it should, is when I started noticing the changes. Mm-hmm. And a year later, I had gotten an acceptance letter to go into the hygiene program. Awesome. I was like, I fucking did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: which I, I, a very dear friend of, of my family, you call, it, call her my little sister, my best friend growing up, his sister became a hygienist and very, um, you know, it, it, it's an in-depth program.
1: It is very so. I did an Excel program, so I went to Fox College in Bedford. Of Bentford.
0: course, you did Excel
1: because <laughs> you know I had to go to school, but I had to finish it fast because I'm a mom of. I'm a, gonna be a mom of two. I gotta finish. But by the time I got accepted, uh, so I know I probably like messed up the timing. But the time I got accepted into the hygiene program, my daughter was two. She was two years old.
0: So you got a you got a two year old, and how old's your oldest then? At that so depo- then
1: she's eleven. Wow,
0: that's a that's a big gap. But the eleven year old can somewhat help out with the two year old. But you got a two year old, man. That's chaos.
1: It's, yeah, but you know, she had been with me for the whole nine years of her life. I'm mom. That's me. That's mommy. So we were dealing with a whole another set of issues because she's like, this little girl's taking my mom away from me. Oh, I want it. my mommy. This is my mom. And, you know, so that was, that was, there was times that there was like loving sister love. Like it was great. I have so many pictures of that, but then there was moments where like this girl is taking my mom. Yeah. So there, it, it was, it was definitely, it was definitely a journey. Um, my partner at the time, uh, you know, and then COVID hit. So I was in school. We were in school for like three months or so. And then March hits and COVID. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm like, ah, oh. come on. So everything had to be transferred online. We're trying to maneuver. We're finding the ways. And, uh, you know, everybody's let off work. I saved money. Uh, thank God my partner had the job that he did. He was able to save great money. Okay. Uh, that's what actually got us through the time of me being in school full time and uh, being able to stay at home. Because we couldn't go anywhere. Grocery shopping was crazy. Like I thank God so much. Because had we not had had that money saved, but we also planned strategically for that. So it worked out. But it was really hard being at home trying to do hygiene on the computer. Like, can you (laughs) see my hands? Like, am I holding this right? Uh, But when we came back and everything was open for clinic, it was crunch time it was crunch time. But I will tell you that hygiene program really, it really got to me because it made me question who I was. Is this even right for me? I'm in the, am I in the right field? Like, what am I doing? Is like, I wanted to give up. I was this close to giving up because I'm like, I'm just not getting it. I'm just not fucking getting it. Like, this this is not for me. This is not for me. I would cry all the time. I wanted to quit. I mean, it's just but something in me like, no, you have never given up. This is not the time now. Mm-hmm. You have two kids now. If this doesn't work out, then I might put the paper bag on me because I just was like. If this doesn't work out, what am I going to do? Yeah. But it did. It worked out. Um, even when I uh, they don't teach you real world stuff in school, you know, everything's to the book, which I love. I love, love, love. But um, But once you get into the real world, you go from having one patient for four hours to a new patient for an hour and a half. To a regular patient that's been established for an hour and getting your flow around the room and and understanding how to manage your time. I struggled. I was in the first four months crying every day. Like, again, I didn't pick the right career. What am I doing? Even talking to my clinical Uh, directors that I was with at the time in my program they're like, it's going to get better. Valerie. You're just adjusting.
0: Oh, so this is you. So you're already out. You're graduated. You're in it. You're in the real world and you're still feeling like a fish out of water.
1: Yeah. I'm like, this is just not, it's not fucking clicking for me. Yeah. Did I make the wrong choice? Yeah. It's not clicking. And the doctors, the doctors that I worked with at that time, they were amazing. Oh my God. Amazing doctors. They sat me down. They said, listen, I need you to hear this. And I'm like, what I do wrong.
0: Yeah. I'm fired.
1: I'm, I'm ready. I said, I can take it. Just, yeah. just give it to me. Yeah. They said, you are getting in your own way. You don't realize how great you are as a hygienist. You are doing, you're educating the patient. You're doing an amazing job. Just being a new grad. Usually I have so many things to nitpick for new grads and how to do things and how to say things and how to transition things. I have nothing to say about you.
0: Wow. A de- dentist doctors are saying this to you. That's incredible.
1: And and at that point he goes, I need you to realize you are great. And this was a high producing practice. I mm. mean, these were these doctors were mentor doctors. Mm. They've been in the. They've been doing this for two, three plus five ten years. Uh-huh. I mean, they've seen it all. They've been. They've gone through hygienists. Like they've. You are gonna be great. You just need to give yourself time. It's okay. And when I once I heard that, I said, "Okay, I need to get out of my own." my head out of my ass. And I realized that I can't do everything perfect, but I also realized that, that even though I loved the doctors and they were amazing and the people around me were amazing, it was too fast paced for me. Mm-hmm. It was just too much going on. So that's when I transferred to station side.
0: Mm. I'm grateful so, for that, by the way,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You would not have met me if had I not transferred to station side. Um, And it was a slower pace. I was able to tune, fine tune my skills. And even then now, I still am able to fine tune my skills. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the thing with me that I learned from that experience with those amazing doctors is that every doctor that I come across now, I let them know, um, please let me know what you feel I can work on. I'm open to constructive criticism. If there's something that you feel I could do better, I would like for you to tell me. Yeah. And that's how I've been. And as time did go on, it did get better. You know, I just, it was an adjustment period. That's, at first it was like, no, I'm not really connecting with the patients. I'm just like in and out, cleaning this. Okay, you need this, this, X, Y, Z. As I was fine tuning my skills at station side, I started to realize that people were opening up to me in ways that I couldn't understand. But I also felt like People like what energy is real, right? Like you walk into a room, you can feel the intensity. Yeah. So, as back to like people being scared to go to the office, I could sense their anxiety,
2: their fear. Yeah. The
1: fear. I could sense that. So, I had to make sure for me, like when my philosophy was that in my life, that's something philosophy. If everyone that I come across, I need to have. I need to have them. I know everyone's not going to like me, but a calm, pleasant experience, Mm -hmm. even as my friend. Mm -hmm. I know I probably was a villain in some people's stories. I probably was, but I learned.
0: Yeah, Yeah. we all do. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So that was like, if I can transition that into the dental operatory where I'm working. Yeah. So I made it my own. I put pictures on there. I tried to help me on that. And I started realizing that it was... For me, it was never just about cleaning teeth. For me, it was always getting to know my patient. Mm. Always. Because we're human first before you sit in my chair. Yeah. Now I I became from being a robot and in starting initially to being who I am. And mm. I felt like I, I'm starting to know. And being in this hygiene profession has allowed me to give me a sense of who I am.
2: Mm -hmm. also
1: Mm -hmm. like i'm able to provide the calmness i've dealt with so many patients that have so much fear and i was able to kind of like what you said transition that into a calming positive experience i always a lot of people probably get annoyed there's some patients that kind of nitpick a little you don't need to tell me every little thing that you're doing i know but i do that because that's my technique so that you know what's coming.
0: And I actually appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I
1: feel that's the thing. People need to understand and what, know what's coming. I'm going to tilt you up. I'm going to open your mouth. I'm going to stretch your cheek. Yeah. So I mean, I know that I'm being redundant, but you have. I feel that's where a lot of people get lost in transition with the dental office because either their procedures that they've had done, the doctor's just going, 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 and not explaining everything that's going on. Well, for me and my experiences, I find better that the patients respond better when you are open and you tell them what exactly is going to happen. And that's worked for me.
0: And so you're, you're excelling at, as a hygienist and you graduated hygiene school. What What's going on with, not your immediate family, what's going on with your mom, your dad, your brothers,
1: Yeah, your, what's I, going
0: on during all this?
1: So I moved out of my house when I was 27 Okay, um, because I, I couldn't, the toxicity of my mother, I mean there was just a lot, again with like the belligerent episodes and my daughter's getting older, I can't have her around this.
0: So it didn't stop, like your daughter's three, four years old, mom goes back to her belligerent, she's, she's back on her pattern.
1: Yes, yes, she's back. Um, She's back and I can't hide it anymore from my daughter. Uh, My brothers are getting older. It was like my mom created divides in the house. Mm -hmm. So I love my brothers. I know they love me too. But if mom said something, I'm coming after you, Valerie. Got it. You know, like it was just a big divide in the family. Big, big divide. Me and my sister don't get along, but I still love her to death. Uh, It was just a big divide. Yeah. Big divide. It was like mom versus dad. Yeah. So I moved out and when I moved out, I decided that I'm not going to come around as much as it hurts me. Yeah, I need to separate myself. Yeah. And I didn't go very often to my parents. I didn't call my mom. I didn't text her. I would text her happy birthday or I would text her Merry Christmas or she would, there was times that she never responded to me. Mm-hmm. She never asked how I was doing. Uh, my dad, me and my dad ended up getting really close. So we, we are like,
0: Glad to
2: hear he that.
1: Everything. yo, yeah. So we would talk about everything. And I would cry to him about my mom. And I would cry to him about how I wish things were different. And he would tell me, like, this is what happened again, another episode. And, and I would tell him, you're her husband. You can help her. File paperwork. Say that she's not mentally there in the capacity to help make these decisions for her. Yeah. Those are things that are available to you. Yeah. Use them. Yeah. Utilize them. And yeah, Valerie, but it's just, you know, I'm always like, dad, you cannot leave this earth or anything, not knowing or not trying, please try. Because I went from like, I can't just do this all on my own. I cannot be the only one calling 911 at this time. Now I'm getting angry, Yeah. you know, because I'm like, you're not helping. I did my part. I'm gone. I have my own daughter to worry about. I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And, and the time you know, I didn't even tell my parents like all the awards or anything that I had received because I wasn't doing it for them. I was doing it for me yeah. to prove to myself that I can do whatever I set my mind to. And I didn't. I told my dad, "Oh yeah, I'm going to I'm, back, I'm going back to school, so I'm going to be a hygienist." He was like, "Oh, that's great." I think he thought it was just like another trade. You know, we didn't really. I didn't really like highlight it. I didn't tell him like this is what I'm doing. Um, again. You know, the 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 belligerent episodes, they got worse and worse and worse. You know, I think the last one, uh, and I would go, and then at that time I would go like once every six months, or I would go once every three months. It was so uncomfortable for me. Um, my mom, you could just see the intensity. I mean, as soon as my body, my presence, my face, anything, she just tensed up like she wanted to she just wow it was not a pleasant experience what are you doing here why are you here every time because i was so close with my dad she hated that but i think it's because she wanted that she so craved the relationship that i had with my father not realizing that there was so much brokenness within both of them yeah so they were being awful to each other just absolutely awful to each other and uh, well
0: then but but also look at you Look at how successful you are in spite of in spite of her. So that, yeah. then that jealousy is just even bigger because the life yes. she never had.
1: She's like, how the hell did she manage to do this? Yes. Yeah. She was really angry with me. Very, very. But I loved her. And regardless, as but I hated leaving her house every time because I never felt like she was proud of me. Regardless, I just left feeling like shit all the time because that's how she treated me. And when I left, I would cry all the time. Like, I just can't keep doing this to myself. I can't keep praying and hoping that she's gonna like, come and hug me and be like, I'm so proud of you. It just never happened. It just was like that for the remainder of her life. And um, it, it hurt me so much to not be around her more especially up to the you know leading up to the end of her life because i wish i had more memories with her um with my daughters yeah you know when i was pregnant with my second daughter like i planned my baby shower i did it all on my own with my partner you know like we did it together and she came and she was drunk out of her mind just drunk i was so upset i Yeah. What could I expect?
0: The sickness took her.
1: It then that's when I knew like when it was when Mila was born it was 2017, a couple years like 2015, I started noticing her physical appearance changing. And she one day said, You know, my liver is not doing well. And I said, Mom, I know it's hard and I can't even imagine how hard it is for you, but please, if you need me to help you find a rehab or I think you need to go away, so you can't. And she did AA for two weeks. It's not helping. I said you need to give it time. Please let me help you.
0: She, it was it was
1: so hard for her. It consumed her. I hated it. I I hated it because I I could I know she wanted to stop. I know she did, but unfortunately it, it didn't. It didn't. And uh, I'm going through this through hygiene school and I'm hearing about the episodes. And I I was like, I have, please let her see me graduate. Like, please let her see me graduate. And I, uh, I told my dad, like, I'm getting a pinning ceremony. This is where they pin me for graduation. Can you and my mom please come? It's that my mom never said anything to me. Um, and so my dad and my mom showed up and I was so happy. I was so happy that she came, but she looks so sick. She looks so sick.
0: Just like John, John Diss now and all that other stuff.
1: I mean, you can just see like my mom, she's beautiful. Mm. She's absolutely beautiful. And I don't even recognize her You know, what you said about the shoulders, that one comment that you said about my shoulders being up so high, hers were like, wow, so up so high. It just felt like she went from standing so tall and standing so strong to just like crumbling into her body. You know, her face is, it's swelling, she's bruising easier, her hair's thinning out. I mean, she doesn't look herself at all. And, um, again, having the talks with her, she's like, Valerie, I'm not doing so well. I'm not. And I said, I, I just, mom, I really, she's like, you think it's so easy. It's not easy. I said, I know it's not, but at this point I graduated, but no one could come to the graduation because of stupid COVID. So I sent them the link of me, uh, graduating. And I'm like, oh my God, first generation, like my associate's degree, like, Here I come, like, so, so, super excited. But at the same time, like, just like thinking about my mom, like, wow, she never, she didn't have this chance. Yeah. She didn't have this chance. But I'm so happy that she could see me have this chance. And um, at that time, my brother was going to get married. We were so excited getting married. My brother, he was in the military for four years. He came back home and proposed, and my mom was so excited. She had something to live for. I think she just needed something, and um, at that point, I think me and my mom, like, I think she, something in me, she kept reaching out to me more. Um, Just random conversation, nothing like I love you or anything like that. It was more calming, like, hey, can you help me with this? Or, hey, can you help me with that? So I would do it, I would go, I would help her. And uh, I would bring my daughter Mila around so that they can have like some interaction. And um, she was la- she seemed happy. She was like laughing at my daughter Mila, my at this time my little one. And she was just so happy where my brother was getting married, and we were planning all these plans, having family dinners. Uh, now we're going dress shopping, and you know things seem to be in a good place. Um, <laughs> but I knew it wasn't. I knew because from the time of my pinning ceremony to the graduation to dress shopping for my brother's wedding, I'll never forget this because she was trying on a dress and it's like she, it's like she knew she looked at me. I said, mom, you look so beautiful. This dress looks great on you. She's like, yeah, well, it's too bad. I'm not going to be able to wear it for the wedding and this was in august of 21 of 2021 so she bought the dress she bought it she looked so beautiful and she bought the dress and then uh something in me was like i just need to spend more time with her there, was, there wasn't any more belligerent episodes. It was just more of just seeing her deteriorate day after day. And she was missing work. My mom never missed work, ever. So she uh, started to miss one week, two weeks, a month, which was something was going on. And finally, she's like, I've been bleeding. I'm like, what do you mean you've been bleeding? She's like, I've been bleeding you know, from my bottom. And I said, what, why, what, why, why why are you not going to the emergency room? Why are you not going to the doctor? Oh, they're just going to tell me the same thing. And I, I just want to die in my house. And I said, mom, what do you say to that? You know, like, what do you say to that? And I, I said, "I, I would rather you not go through this pain. I get what you want, but can you at least not be in pain? Can you at least do me a favor and please go if there's any way, shape or form, can you please just go and get some pain relief? And, uh, it was like the last, uh, the moments where everything pretty much, um, I was at work and, uh, my dad called me and he said, Valerie, we're in the emergency room with your mom. She started vomiting blood, uh, I said, "Okay, you don't need to come. Don't worry. She's stable right now. We're Like we're good. She's she's alive. She's talking. Like they're they're just doing testing on her." I said, "Okay, no problem." I hung up the phone and I instantly broke down because something in me told me that this was this was out of all the hospital stays and all the psychiatric wards and this this was it. This was the time. It's just, I don't know how or what. I just felt it. I, I, I broke down crying at work and everybody's like, what's going on? I said, I need to go. I need to go be with my mom. So I, I I show up in the emergency room and I'm and out of all the times in the past where I've called the ambulance and I've rolled the ambulance and I did all that, my mom was yelling at me. What the fuck are you doing here? I don't want to fucking want you here. And I'm crying on the way to the hospital. Like, God, I'm not ready to hear her tell me that she doesn't want me there. Like, I just, I can't deal this with right now. I didn't care. I was like, I don't give a fuck. I don't, I'm going to tell her something today. (laughs) So I get there and I look at her and I'm like, "Ah!" I said, I don't want to hear it. I'm here because I want to be here. I want to be here for you. So stop. And she said, okay. Okay. I said, how are you feeling? What's wrong? And she said, "I I I'm vomiting blood, and I'm sorry TMI, and it's going through my stool as well. They're 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 gonna transfer me to Naperville and Ed, Naperville and wow. Edwards and Naperville, downtown Naperville." I said, "Okay." So I waited there, waited there. It took eight hours for them to finally transfer her. It was a fucking nightmare. I felt like so many things were missed during my mom's visit. You know, they ended up doing a us- I'm not sure if I'm saying this correctly. A, a, a scopy.
0: Uh, endoscopy? Endoscopy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So they did it through her throat to see if there was any varices, anything that was indicating why she was bleeding, why she was vomiting blood. But they never did a colonoscopy, like through the back way. They yeah. didn't do that. And they were like, well, she had one previously. I said, but. She's bleeding rectally. Wouldn't you want to find where she's bleeding from? What do I know, right? So, you know, we're in the hospital. They finally get her transferred to the room. I'm with her every step of the way. um, And uh, she's in pain. She's in excruciating pain. But they can't give her pain medications because her blood pressure is so low that the medication could put her in, you know, in shock and she can that's it. Yeah. So the doctors came in and they said, yeah, your liver is severely, this is when we heard your liver is severely impaired. If you do not stop drinking, you only have three to six months left. Her eyes were jaundiced. Her skin was jaundiced. They said, we're going to do our best. How are you? Because she was with withdrawal. You know, it's been eight hours. Withdrawal. She was doing great. She didn't throw up. She was, she was a, my mom was a hell of a fighter. Always has been. Did not take no for an answer. She fucking got it done. Like my mom got it done. And I think that's where I get my, I want to say that's where I got my strength from because she never gave up. My mom would prove you wrong. If you told her you couldn't, she fucking did it. Yo, yeah. Let me show you. (laughs) (laughs) That's how she was. Oh,
0: God bless her.
1: Yeah, she was a fighter, man. She was a fighter. And even in that time, in the moments, in the lowest vulnerability and the doctors are telling her, she's like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I can't wait to be in my house, shampooing my hair with my conditioner because my hair feels like a bird's nest. I hate this shit. Like she, she, <laughs> she hated it. So here they go. You know, this is day three now. Day three, we're in there and she's not getting better. She's like, Valerie, this is, I feel worse than what I did when I came in. I don't know if what they're doing to me is right. Right medication on medication and i'm just like is this i'm trying to process everything that's going on like is this the detoxing plus whatever symptoms or like whatever she was avoiding this is all catching up with her now yeah it's starting to get worse In that now i'm starting to see and my mom believe it or not i was walking her to the bathroom she got up Every time to go to the bathroom, mm. I walked her. She's like, oh, my God, Valerie, I'm so sorry you have to see this. I said, mom, I, you forget that I was a certified nurse's assistant? I used to do this for a living. <laughs> you're my mom. I said, it feels more special that you're my mom and I'm able to do that for you. She was crying. She's like, I can't hold my stool in. I'm I'm so embarrassed. And I like kept reassuring her, like, I'm here to take care of you. We are going to get you better. But... We're going to have to get through this hurdle. And I did. We didn't really have a lot of conversations in the hospital, you know. But I started noticing her abdomen was swelling up with liquid. And I had, unfortunately, lost an uncle five, six years previously to alcoholism. So I knew. And that's exactly what happened to him. He started to swell up. And that was that. And once I saw that, I was like instantly worried. Like I was just this entire worry this entire time. So they took out about two liters of liquid from her abdomen and they found out that uh, it was, it had bacteria in it. So her whole abdomen just had bacteria just floating around in there. So she didn't have any broken varices through her esophagus, which was great, but In hindsight, 2020, uh, I think what ended up happening, they didn't test my mom for C. diff right away. It was day three in the hospital. My mom had a sore bottom, and I asked the nurse, I said, hey, can I have some bum cream to help my mom with the soreness? Because she's been very, sorry, liquidy stools. And uh, I'm trying to word it in a nice word. No, that's good. And and, uh, I just want to relieve her of some pain. Yeah, And the nurse goes, what do you mean, liquidy stools? I'm like, my mom's had liquidy stools since the moment she's gotten into your ER. Well, had they checked her for C. diff? I said, I'm not sure. That's your job. Good for so you. Why don't you inform me? Yeah. What have you guys done for my mother? Yes. We're going to get her tested right away. And sure enough, C. diff colonitis. Fuck. So once I hear that, I start researching on my phone that it's life-threatening. and I lost it. Not in front of my mom, I had to step out of the room. And I was just like, I don't want to prepare myself for the worst. But at the same time, I it was just all happening right in front of me. So uh, they start pumping her with more medications, and she's feeling worse and worse and worse. And now we're and we're all taking turns. I never left that hospital. Like I literally left to have maybe 3 4 hours of sleep and then I didn't even go to work. I told work, I'm not fucking coming back. I need to be with my mom. This is what I'm going to do. If I have no job, fuck it. I have no job, but I'm I'm staying with my mom. And we did. We took turns and um staying with my mom, she was never alone. And um she was there 8 days um up until like the last moments. She the doctors came in hopeful the day before. And um, they were like, you know, numbers are going up, like things are looking great. So we're like, hope it's just going to take time. It's just going to take time. Maybe she's going to have to be here for three months, but who cares? Like, who cares as long as she's here? And ironically, uh, it was my turn to come that morning. And my dad was with her all night. And uh, my brothers were fighting and my mom was worried, like, oh, no, please go help them. I don't want them fighting. And, you know, stupid brother rivalry. And she was so worried. I said, mom, it's going to be OK. It's going to be OK. Don't worry. And uh, my spouse, well, that was the first time my spouse had saw my mom because he was like at home with my girls, you know, being supportive and in, and in, in helping me with that. I yeah. was not in the right mind. I was just hospital, home, hospital, home. I wasn't even eating like it was a really i felt burnt out i was angry i was sad it was just i just that was just a ball of emotions literally 20 minutes 25 minutes had passed and we're talking to my mom we're showing funny videos of her of Mila and and it sucked because my girls couldn't come in to see her because of the hospital regulations still covid and that's and that's when shit hit the fan my mom looks at me and she said, Valerie, you know, I'm, not, I'm not, something's just not sitting right with me, Valerie. I said, Mom, just lean your head back. Relax. I put my hand on her forehead. I said, it's going to be okay. Just take some nice deep breaths. And that's when it started. Just profuse blood, just hemorrhaging out of her mouth. And I, I was just like in shock. I'm like, do I call the nurse? I was just like, what the fuck am I doing? What am I, what do I have to do? What do I got to do? What do I got to do? And then my spouse is having his hand on my shoulder and I and she's looking at me with like f- the fear in her eyes. And I said, mom, it's going to be okay. Look at me. I said, look at me. And I, I I hadn't cried in front of her, but I knew that was not a good sign. Yeah. And so I called the nurse, I pushed the nurse for the button, and my mom's still profusely vomiting blood. I mean, it's not dark, it's red. Like, this is net fresh blood, like, just coming out. And I'm running to get towels, I'm running to get the pail, I'm running, and I'm holding her hand, and I'm doing this. And then the nurse is like, you know, like, in the scenes of the movie, everything's slow motion, and you never think that when they call for coding or they need extra help and they bring the safety team or the coding team to come in, I never thought that I would have to be a part of that moment until like I was, it was just like everything was slow motion and my hand was on top of my mom and I'm consoling her. And then I could just hear the code, code, code blue or whatever they said, code something room two, my mom's room 437, 437. And at that moment I just broke down. And I said, mom, I love you. Like, She's like, I'm going to faint, Valerie. I said, no, please stay with me. Please stay. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me, please. And um, then they saw that I was getting hysterical. So they're like, you need to leave the room. And I said, I don't want to leave my mom. I just want to stay with her. But I could hear her like, please do everything to save my life. Like, please do everything. And then I called my dad like, dad, this is. She's hemorrhaging. They got to take her up to the ICU. And that was the last time I saw my mom alive. Wow. And ironically, out of all the time throughout my whole life, she was calling for me and calling for me. (laughs) That I thought it was really ironic that I was with her in that moment.
0: In one of her most difficult moments. In one of your most difficult moments, peace was granted.
1: It's like the entire time we were there in the hospital, I I wanted to have that conversation. I really did, like, mom, why did you treat me the way you did? Mom, why? But a part of me now being a mom, being a mom of two, understanding her background, understanding her logic, and everything that she had went through, I didn't need to have that conversation anymore. Yeah. Because I understood. Yeah. And it was almost as if, like, even though we weren't talking about it, it was almost as if there was, like, a, I'm sorry in there. Yeah. And I felt it. So, yeah, I wish I could go back and hear her voice or, like, say I'm sorry. Or, but at the same time, just the um, exchange of energy where it was peaceful and, and I was able to feel that I'm sorry was enough for me.
0: And, Valerie, you honored You honored her and provided her dignity on her last days on this earth. Your experience as a CNA, all of the things that you did in high school, you've been fighting. You say, I wonder where this fight comes from. You've been fighting for your mom. Your entire life. You've been fighting against forces that you didn't know you didn't understand. Yeah. And at the end of the fight. You're there. To show her dignity, human kindness and love.
1: Yeah, I never I never left her side. It was just like an instant like I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to be here with you like I was buying her like things that she needed things she didn't think she needed brushing her hair and the thing the crazy thing is like that morning I'm like she's tired of her bird's nest hair I'm tired of looking at it too so I brought her things from home and it's so weird because like I went to the store and I bought some things and then I was she's like those are the stuff that I like. had no idea it was just like uh it was such a weird coincidence that i had bought things that she liked yeah and um especially
0: with the amount of time like you guys have not talked about likes dislikes anything it just it was you picked the right thing
1: yeah and um i i i've put Pond's lotion on her face because that was the fa- that was her favorite. She just wanted to feel good. I was able to get the tank, the little bird's nest knot out of there. I was like braiding her hair. I did a little bit of her eyebrow makeup. Like just wanted her to feel good. I literally had just did all of that. And I was able to like centrally like have that moment with my mom. Yeah. And twenty five minutes later, it was all gone. Lights up. Yeah, they ended up um, having to put her in the ICU and having to sedate her. So they had her on life support. Um, We had family come and everyone come. And then the doctors pulled us to the side and pretty much told us that All the blood they're putting in her, all the plasma, everything that they're doing for her is coming right back out. There's nothing left for treatment. Her liver failed. Her kidneys failed. And every organ was starting to shut down. The only thing that were left was like her brain and her heart and her lungs were in good condition so we had to make a decision if we were going to keep her on and do we really want to do CPR on her so I told my dad it is selfish of us to keep her here because people want to see her in this fashion we cannot keep her here to talk to her we gotta do the right thing And we got to
2: let her
1: go. (laughs) And we all agreed. When I tell you she was a fighter, she was fighting. She was off life support for like a day and a half. (laughs) With with
0: failed kidneys, failed liver.
1: (laughs) Wow. I'm just like, we're going in there and I'm going in there and I'm whispering in her ear. I think the part that hurt the most is when They took out the tubes. We weren't there for that. But when they had um, took out the tube, she was still moving. And you could see tears come down her eyes. And I would ask her a question. I said, Mom, can you hear me? She would shake her head, yes. (sighs) I said, Mom, are you in pain? Can you see me? You want to go home. She didn't want to die in the hospital. I think that was really hard. And as time went on where she was on life support, I could feel her getting colder and colder. And I would go in there and I would tell her, you were the best mom that I could have asked for. You provided me with things despite everything you were going through. You were still able to do that for me. And I will always love you for that. I don't look at her as oh, you're my mom that had an alcohol addiction. Yeah. That that that's all that she was. She was so much more than that. And I and I I wanted her to know before she left that she was so much more than that to me.
0: And she did. She got to receive that before she went.
1: Yeah. I always, I'm like, I always wonder, like, the crazy thing is, is that my dad ended up uh, a couple days after my dad called me. He said, I just had a dream about your mom. And I said, oh, really? He's like, yeah, she was asking for you. She was asking for you, like, where's Valerie? Where's Valerie? I need to give her a hug. (laughs) The weird thing is that I had a friend from high school that I hadn't talked to in like, oh, my God, since high school, it's been like 15 years. Yeah. And she reached out to me and she said, I know this is going to be really weird. But I had a dream about your mom last night. (sighs) And she wants you to know that she's okay. She's not suffering anymore. And she wants to give you a big hug. I didn't want to believe it, but it was just too much of a coincidence. Of I want to give you a big hug. Yeah. Like how is
0: she, she sees you? No,
1: she doesn't <clears throat> know my family. She doesn't talk to my father. Like
0: yeah, just out of the out of the blue after fifteen years, reaches out and just <laughs> says, "Hey, I just had a dream about your mom, and uh, she wants to. Uh, <laughs> she just wants to give you a big hug. Come on, yeah. What are yeah. the odds?
1: Exactly. Exactly. So I I know that she's with me. It just it just hurt so much that I she was worth so much more. She deserved so much more. Yeah. And I know that she's not. She's here in a different way. But I just wish in this life that she got what she deserved. That's what I wish. Yeah.
0: And the beauty of it is she's, she's with you. She's with your daughters. And now the goal is to see you live your best life.
1: Yeah. I was struggling with that. I'm still struggling with that, to be honest. Uh how am I supposed to be happy when these moments where I know my mom's supposed to be here, you know, it's a constant conflict, a war within myself that I'm dealing with now.
0: What is, what does now look like? I mean, you're, you're absolutely incredible.
1: Thank you. And
0: <laughs> you're an, you're an incredible person. Um, I, I've received your professional services as a hygienist. You're, very gifted. You have a very delicate touch. You're very conscientious of your people. You're empathic. Thank you. Um, extremely professional. I I think the way that you approach conversation, the way that you approach proactive brushing, you know, all of those different things. And I mean, we could have a podcast talking about the health oh, yeah. implications. I could
1: talk about that all day. <laughs> yeah. Uh.
0: But but your knowledge base is it's just it's very it's it's uh. It's very good. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. And uh, keep
1: up with the profession, you know, people, I must like, I like science. So like I'm a science person. I have, I like to make sure that people understand that there are studies for why I recommend the things that I recommend. And I also know that I just can't come into this profession with just the knowledge that I learned in school. I have to, you know, go to CEs. I have to, if I want to be the best, I got to know the best. Yeah. And that's where, and I have to be able to give the best to my patients as well as for myself.
0: I think the, I think the amazing thing is I know people that left a career when they were 50 years old and they, they went and they got their doctorate of psychology. I know people that have started acting in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s. Yeah. Whatever whatever you decide is yours. You've yeah. already proven that there's nothing good nothing is going to keep you down.
1: No. It's just finding another way.
0: Yeah. So now, let's bring this whole thing full circle. Yeah. When you hear about this seemingly global health pandemic, mental health breakdown, and you think about what you've gone through in your life, do you realize... How resilient we're meant to be.
1: You know, I don't until I like put it out all today on the timeline of things and and the way you describe it. Um, I guess it's just one of those things that my therapist was also working with me as well. Is understanding that regardless of everything that I've been through that I always chose myself over everything that I was going through and learning to accept that it's okay for me to accept those types of compliments because throughout my whole life, it was like I was the golden child and then I was like banned from life and having to rebuild all of that. Yeah. Now I am starting to appreciate myself in that. I can't believe I did all that. And even for you, Jay, like you've gone through so much and to be as resilient as you are to make mental aware, mental health awareness a thing, because I, and we can speak from our generation that there was not a lot of resources provided. No. And I think the way the social media or the news portrayed mental illness as if like it was a rare thing to happen to someone. Right. And there wasn't a lot of doctors that you could go to for that. And I think even I think mental illness and mental illness was always there. Yep. Always. And everybody. And everyone, because everyone has a story and it impacted them in a way that they didn't expect. Yeah. And I feel like we all need therapy. To help us maneuver and get through life,
0: absolutely. Therapy, wellness, you 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 name it. But yes, gosh, there's so many platforms. And thank you for the kind words. Um, there's so many platforms, Valerie, that you stand tall on the female community. Being a single mom, survivor of domestic violence.
1: And I never really called myself that because a lot of people made me feel like, oh, well, it wasn't really because he didn't really fully beat you, you know? Um, But once again, like I'm working with my therapist and, and to say, she's like, say it out loud. Like I am a survivor of domestic violence.
0: Yeah. My wife, she she's done a, a lot of work with a, a local organization, Mutual Ground, and uh, she took the adv- advocacy classes and she went to the hospitals to advocate for for the individuals that have been victimized and making sure that the nurses are doing what they're supposed to and everybody's yeah. do, doing what they're supposed to. That's supp- awesome. Yeah. Um, and I think... And and this goes for wh- whether it's female, whether it's male, whether it's not binary. I, I, it, it, there is no gender discrimination from the standpoint. Yeah. Ab- abuse happens, right? Right. And just the simplicity of someone stealing a phone from someone so they right. cannot call for help or get out of a situation—that's
1: abuse—is abuse. Absolutely.
0: You, you know, I used to, th- I used to think that um what i used to think you know and this is fighting with guys but i used to think that if i didn't step on someone's face or kick them in the stomach when they were on the ground that i was practicing self-control
2: right
0: and it's kind and i i bring up i bring up that example because it's kind of it's a little bit like what what in the environment, in the people that you were surrounded by, they're like, "Well, he never close fist punch you, so you were never like, you weren't really abused, You like,
1: right? I didn't really hit you, yeah. I mean, he, he just grabbed you. I
0: mean, yeah, you were just grabbed and pushed around, and uh, like right. you were just oh, but but then it was like, well, you were slapped across the face, but that was open hand. He could have backhanded you, and that you know,
1: right. it, it he didn't make you bleed.
0: Yeah, is it like?" Isn't that crazy that the metrics have to be so bad? Yeah. Like, well, what if he just stole your phone and threatened to kill you? Right. That's a that's literally enough right there. Right. That, but just the so jumping off my soapbox, there there are so many you have so much wisdom from your experience to now.
1: Yeah. I realized that. I had all four wisdom teeth, so that. Probably- <laughs> <laughs>
0: but I mean, and I'm not trying to blow sugar up your ass, but I like you literally, you lived. I was having a conversation with an individual that I met earlier this week, and we were talking about ACE score, adverse childhood experiences. Okay. And f- all of the things that you're talking about from like five, like four years old, three years old till like, I don't know, 20, wow, 33, what I'm just saying up to yeah. like, you're up, up to 20, let's say you're still a child at, at 20 years old, maybe right. let's, let's be generous and say 18 years old,
1: 18.
0: Okay. What you experience from three to 18. Most people it's not gonna be pretty there's gonna be a lot of repercussions. Yeah. They're, absolutely. They're they're not gonna be hygienists. They're they're not <laughs> gonna they're not gonna graduate right? college because their brain isn't functioning. No. And look at you. Look at how far you have fucking come on your Thank own. You. <laughs> you look at how far you've come. It's it, it is absolutely incredible. And here's the best part about it. You got your mom, you got your mom at your back, you got your mom at your front, you got your mom above, you got ancestors that are like they're clapping their hands and they're they're rooting for you. Yeah, and I gotta tell—I haven't cried this much, and I don't—I don't think (laughs) any of my podcasts.
1: I'm making you cry. I'm so sorry. (laughs) I don't think I've cried
0: that it's here's. Here's what got me. You have such a beautiful heart. You, you, like you're, 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 you're generous. You're a caring. You're a loving person. You have such a great heart, and it was just, I, when you're telling these stories, I could just hear your heart breaking, and I could just. I could feel that pain. Maybe it's me being empathic, whatever it is, but I could, I could feel it. And I'm just like, man, if we can let these tears flow, each of us are going to be healing a little bit more. Each of us are. are, Yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: Like a
1: hundred percent. Yeah. I I always thought crying was like, Oh, you're weak. When you cry, like, Oh, you have to hide your feelings. So this is like what they teach you growing up. And as far as like going back to like mental awareness, like, they need to put this in education. Yeah. They need to enroll and put this in their curriculum. There needs to be mindfulness taught in schools. Totally. You know, my daughter, like she'll see me do, my my six-year-old now, um, she'll see me do, she wanted a yoga mat for Christmas because she's like, I want to do yoga with my mommy. You Love know, that. even this, like I kind of fell off the meditation, but she knows like I have, I have my journals, I have things that I do and they know that that's a part of my life. And I tell them being able to manage your emotions is a superpower Yeah. because not a lot of people have emotional intelligence. Yeah. And I hate to say that experiences like that will shape you that way, but I feel like if we brought more mindfulness to our children in their curriculum, in their everyday lives, I think they would be able to manage with bullying. I think they'd be able to manage... You know the changes of puberty, you know the adjustments from middle school to high school. I mean, I think the world would be such a better place if we incorporated that more.
0: Well, and it, one of the things that I had learned about uh, just earlier this year, you, you're you're right on, I, I think, Valerie. And to to add a little bit further is the emotional recognition. You know, children are emotionally invalidated. Stop crying, or, or I'll give you something to cry about. You know, right. someone's sad. Well, you're not sad. Someone's angry. Well, you you're you're not angry. Right. And you know what i've What I've been learning is. If we can call out the most extreme emotion of the child, now teenagers, it's a whole different ballgame. Oh, but oh, yeah. <laughs> you you're, 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 I'm not there yet. <laughs> yeah,
1: I'll be giving you advice later on.
0: <laughs> I appreciate that, Valerie. But but what I'm learning about is. So, so for, for me, uh, you know, I, I say this over and over and again on my podcast, I was able to get through the night terrors. I was able to get through the flashbacks. I was able to get through not being able to adapt in uh, a regular environment that I originally was adaptive, adaptable in. I was able to understand hypervigilance, hyper arousal, hypo arousal, peel the onion of hypervigilant. It, it's its own it, it, hypervigilance. It's its own mountain. Right. Right. Beyond all of that, there's still these twisters. They're called negative feedback loops. And those are the things where people get blown across the street. They're the ones where people get blown across their day and they have to pick up the candy bar. They have to pick up the, the bottle or the joint or what whatever it is, because the
1: overwhelming of life, the anxiety.
0: Yes. The yes. Pain. Yes, yes, yes. And underneath these twisters, call them like these super fans, underneath these twisters is affect regulation or emotional regulation. And what I didn't realize is all of the emotional suppression, all of the emotional compartmentalization that I did in my life and was continuing to do was creating... Everything. It all stemmed from my emotional cognition. So being able to say, I'm angry, I'm sad, I'm this, I'm that. So when my kids do something and I'm like, I'm super angry, I like, I will literally, even if I yell, I'll be like, I am angry. And they'll be like, Oh, dad, dad's angry. Let them be, let let them be. But then 20 minutes later, they'll say, dad, are you still angry? I'll be like, no, I I feel better. And the reason why I feel better in like when my bullying point hits, my brain is saying hit, kick, you know, get, get violent. Right. Well, what I realized is when I call out that most intense emotion in me, or somebody calls it out for me so what my wife and I are doing we're practicing labeling the emotion the most intense emotion that we see we're ignoring the words and we're basically in, in, a, in a way we're lending our prefrontal cortex to the other person while it goes offline so if I'm super pissed off my brain goes offline and this isn't mine. This uh, this amazing man. He's a he is a, a retired civil a- attorney. Left after like twenty years of decorated service. Doug Knowles went back to school, got his master's degree in peacemaking, and he created this nonprofit with another individual called Prison uh, Prisoner of Peace. Wrote this book: How to Calm an Angry Person in Ninety Seconds or Less, and he. And he utilized all of the various peacekeeping resources and mediation tactics that are out there and came up with this very simplistic but very powerful approach to reducing a person with, you know, to reducing a person with anger issues. And what he was able to realize is people that are reactive, it's because they compartment they compartmentalize their emotions in other words they're not able to realize the emotions that they have and it's called alexithemia and basically people with higher levels of alexithymia are the wife beaters they're the people that are are beating their kids and regretting it or getting in bar fights or doing doing things that they regret because they can't put an emotional a, a, a quotient On what they're feeling and what they're doing. So the body just immediately reacts. So when my wife affect labels me, she is forgetting what I'm saying. She's listening to the emotions that are coming up rather than what I'm saying. And she's repeating those emotions back to me. And when I do this with the kids, like there is no issue. It completely reduces tense situations. There's no violence. Right. There's no external reactivity. I just look at them, I scare them a little bit because I'm like, I'm angry. And they'll right. look at me like, huh? And then 20 minutes later, like, Dad, are you still angry? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm actually, I'm feeling good. Well, th- just the other day, my son's like, dad, I hate you. And I mean, he's five, <laughs> you, know, you know, and it was like, yes. I I took away his video game for a minute. I'm like, dude, we got to go. I, right. I know I promised you we could play a video game, but we, we got to go. Mom needs right. us to go do something. And he's like, well, no, you know, and so he throws this entire fit and then he comes back and he says, Hey, you know what? I'm going to bring this video game with me. And I said, you know what? Because of your behavior, because you're angry, because you're sad, because of the way that you're acting, because of these emotions, you're not bringing your video game with you. And he's like, you're a stupid dad. I hate you. And I was just like, where I come from, that's an ass beating. Like right? you don't,
1: absolutely
0: you don't get away with that. Like that you're, you're a
1: chunkla right
0: Yeah. There. Yes. Like I'm taking off the belt and I'm beating you until I see color. Absolutely. And And
1: then they will never do it again. Right. Because they're terrified of you.
0: Right. And I, I looked at him. I'm like, you're angry. Now I, I, I did. He was trying to do like the whole, like, I'm not moving. And Ah, I just
1: like trying to guide him. Yeah. I just scooted
0: his little ass to the door and. I looked at him and I'm like, I'm angry, I'm frustrated, I'm annoyed, I feel disrespected, I feel unappreciated, and I feel unloved. And he goes, he looked at me and he, you know, his little beady eyes, he goes, I'm angry and I'm sad and I miss, I miss Max, our family dog, because it was at training, and now, here's the thing: If I would have beat the shit out of him, right. I wouldn't have uncovered
1: what he was really angry about
0: or sad about. Or yeah. And it it's just like this is a game changer. Like this this guy uh, Douglas E. e. Uh, Douglas E. Knowles, he wrote the book "How to Calm an Angry Person in ninety ninety seconds or less." Okay. And what he realized talking about, you know, domestic violence, talking about all of those things is that these individuals they're not monsters. They have no emotional component. They're not able to emotionally recognize the feeling that they're having so they become reactive because of their emotional suppression now that doesn't mean that we have to tolerate that behavior or anything like that. that's that's not right. what i'm saying it's what just I, an
1: explanation to why they are the way they are
0: because they can't feel they can't feel the emotion they can't put an emotional quotient to it right which creates just a reactivity
1: with my therapist that's something that we're working through as well um I would never cry in front of my kids, or I would never say I'm sad, I'm angry, or any of that. And she said it's important for your children to see that you're not a robot.
0: Yeah, That you're that not you perfect. Have
1: feelings that I'm not perfect. Yep. And it's okay. Yeah. And in turn, like we, like our thing is kind of like yours. Like, please tell me what you're feeling. Yeah. I'm sad. I'm frustrated. And my daughter will be like, "I'm frustrated because you're not letting me put lipstick."
2: <laughs>
1: She's six years old. She wants lipstick and she wants drunk elephant skincare products. So, <laughs> <laughs> not cheap.
0: You're like only when you're 15.
1: I bought it for her. I'm not. <laughs> I bought it for her. It was Uh, a little package kit that came with all these little accessories. She's like obsessed with these like miniature items. So I'm like, it was eighty dollars, but eighty dollars of miniature items. I'm like,
0: okay. But it was adorable. It it was a it was
1: adorable, and it made her happy. And she does it. She does her skincare routine every day. Said you better look flawless by the time you're my age.
0: (laughs) So life, life continues.
1: It does. And that's something that I'm working through, um, actually, because after my mom died, uh, everything, it didn't feel like life was real. I was in something that I learned, grievance fog. I just couldn't focus. I couldn't sleep. I was losing weight. I, I knew I couldn't get out of bed. It's just crying five, six times a week. I mean, for months, months. And I went to the doctor to schedule my checkup. And she said, listen, you need help. And I'm just like, I need help. I'm fine. I've coped. I've done my coping before. I've done my mindfulness. I just have to go back to that again. And I will be fine. This is a phase. I will be all right. I've done this before. Yeah. And she said, no, you haven't. You've never lost your mom before. Oh, wow. So please do me a favor. She's like, if you really love me as your doctor and you really like me, because I thought she's great, she's amazing, um, please go find someone to talk to. The first experience didn't go so well. That therapist was shitty. Oh, (laughs) my God. Well, number one, she was late to the appointment, and this was her practice. And as she's late, she didn't even know my name. This is your practice, but you don't know my name. Yeah. And... She's like, okay, let's come in. And I'm so sorry that I had to turn around and I forgot something. I said, life happens. I get it. It's inevitable. Give her benefit of the doubt. Then we're sitting in this therapy appointment and she goes, one second, I got to brush my hair really quick and then I'll be right. What? But you're fucking late for my appointment. And I'm here to talk about my mom. What does this have to do with my mom? I don't care what your hair looks like. Yeah. And then as we're going through the appointment, it's like. It just didn't feel right. I'm just like, let me just give this a try. This is something new. Be open. Benefit of the doubt. Regardless, just forget about her brushing her hair. Yeah. And uh, she's talking. I'm like, I'm here to talk about my mom. She was an alcoholic, unfortunately. Um, I also have, you know, trauma within my past. But I'm here mostly to focus on the grieving of my mom. Yeah. And then she was like, okay, what nationality are you?
0: The fuck's that matter?
1: I'm like, I'm Mexican-American. Oh, you don't look that. I'm like, okay. Do you ever, she goes, do you ever feel insecure about the way you look? Like how small you are? And I was like, yes, that's insecurity that I have. And I've been struggling with that my whole life. I don't like that I'm petite, but I am. And she's like, yeah, it just looks like you could just like blow in the wind. Like if I went, you'll just blow in the wind. I was like, I need to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> no
0: kidding. Oh, my God, dude.
1: She's like, look. And then she had me take an assessment on the computer. And she's like, how did you feel taking that assessment? I'm like, "Like I took the fucking boards from my hygiene school. I'm <laughs> over this. <laughs> like, I don't want to do tests. I want to talk to someone. I don't need you yeah. to test me. Yeah. And, uh, and she's like, yeah, look outside. There's a fridge there. We'll go outside and have our therapy session. I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to like get myself out of there. I was like, it was really nice meeting you. I'll schedule you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. For sure. I was like, I am never fucking going back to therapy. Yeah. Not fucking doing it. Like if this is the type of people that are out there, like what?
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: And, uh, I told my doctor about it and my doctor's like, oh my god i've never had this happen to me i was like this is like you tell me to go for it i actually go do it and this is what i got and she was like oh my god please go try again i said i don't know let's just i just need some i just need some time to think about it but as time went on i just the mindfulness is not working yeah my my yoga and it's just not working the way that i need it to and i was like okay i i'm gonna do this again yeah so I did. I ended up going the second time. To, and the second time was the right time because me, the moment I walked in, I felt the energy and I'm like, this is it. This is the one. Like I didn't even need to have her talk or say anything to me. It was just, I was able to feel that this was the right place. It's awesome. And I've been seeing her since and um, a year, a year and a half now.
0: It's impactful, little, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I didn't think I'm like more aware of like my body. Now I'm more able to feel certain things that I didn't before. And like reading the book that she recommended, which we started talking about is how the body keeps a score and how our body just holds all this trauma. And that's what makes us sick. Yeah. And I don't want to be sick. I want to live here a long life for my daughters. Yeah. And having to, she's like, I know you're great at mindfulness, but let's, Right now, what I'm working on is feeling my feelings because I, for so long, I felt like I was so frozen. Like, yes, I had moments of happiness and joy and anger, but there's lots of times where I don't remember feeling things at all. Yeah. So now what I'm working on is uh, what my body feels like when I'm happy, what my body feels like when I'm angry. And how do I relieve that? Yeah. Yeah that's what i'm working on right now.
0: So awesome. You get that somatic education and yeah. the other the other part to it is you know that that's not your fault that you weren't feeling that. You know that that was a yeah. that was a natural defensive tool to save your life.
1: Yeah. And that's something that like me and my therapist talk about all the time because You know, going through the grieving process and like being angry at my father for not helping more, being angry at myself for not doing more or being angry at my brothers because they didn't they don't care the way that I do. You know, going through all those motions and like having to understand that I can't fix it all because that's the role that I was given my entire life. Valerie's going to fix it. Yeah. And I have to fix me and take a step back. Because that's automatic in me now. Anytime someone has a problem, I can help you. Yeah. Let me fix that. And learning that I have to fix me right now. I have to, I'm not disciplined with myself. You know, like I'm so disciplined in my career. I do everything that I need to do. I'm so disciplined as a mother. Yeah. But when it comes to me, I want to go to the gym. I want to do more mindfulness. I want to do more exercises. I want to go kayaking. I want to do these things, and I'm not disciplined with myself, and it's hard. It's really, really hard.
0: Can I, can I interject yeah. on that? My my wife Lindsay, she's absolutely a, my best friend and and my wife and partner that I get to do this with. Um she's been through her own hell, and one of the things that i realize, you know i i have a sister that's older she's a wonderful person um the women that i've met in my life i was surrounded by a lot of women in my dad's bar business when i was very young and growing up in in that business and i'm not making a, a generalization because not every no, woman is like this but right most of the women most of the women that i I come across um, they are emotionally they they are emotionally more in tune to situations that need repair or that need fixing than most of the male counterparts that I've met and I think when you come from the level of abuse that you've come from or someone else has come from, one of the hardest things is to look at yourself and put your oxygen mask on first you know you're you're flying at thirty thousand feet, and the oxygen mask comes out my wife would argue with me saying uh-uh, I'm putting on my baby's I'm putting on my baby's oxygen mask first I'm gonna make sure my husband's oxygen mask is on and I was like yeah and so then mine. yeah and then mine and I was like but get but in in it took a uh, god love her because it, it took her time in healing to realize that if she doesn't take care of herself first that it all crumbles.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Because a powerful woman becomes the matriarch. Right. And it takes a lot to be mom.
1: Oh yeah. Oh it, yeah.
0: Like I've I've had the visualization of being like, okay, I'm sick. I have a hundred and three degree temperature. I have this going on in my kids. They're like, dad, what's going on? They might punch me in the stomach or or jump on me or something like that. But then they flock away. When mom's sick. They're freaking out and they just need to be by mom. They, you know, it's like, you know, their mom doesn't get me. some space. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, you don't get the space. You you know, so it's like.
1: No, I literally leave my bathroom door open, even if it's one or two, because literally there's always someone in the bathroom and I'm 33 and my daughter's 15 and my other daughter's six. Yeah. So, I mean, literally there's always someone in my bathroom. So I'm just sitting there like, okay, we're doing this.
0: Yeah. We're doing this. It's a locker room at at this point. Yeah. 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 But, but it's there's so much to learn from your story there's so much to learn from my wife's story there's so much to learn from the moms out there and the people that are doing it and yeah, yeah i just and,
1: <sighs> and i do have to say that even though my first uh the the first father of my child it was not an easy co-parenting situation it's still not actually. uh, It's it's just managed to kind of diminish over time like the trauma, the drama. Um, This time around like unfortunately, yeah, uh, there's a situation now where like, yeah, me and my father's child are separated, second relationship um, but with this co-parenting situation, it's a lot different in that he actually wants to be involved and he wants to be there for his child and Not to say that the first father didn't, I just think he has his own stuff to worry about, but, uh, you know, it's a lot different this time around and I'm grateful that he's there to help me co-parent with my second daughter. It's, it's been easy with that a lot. That's good. Yeah. You were due. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I mean, I know that I could get it done. Like, let's say, like, he just was like, you know what? I'm just not doing this anymore. No, I have a system. That's the thing. I always have a system. You have to have a plan from A through Z. This doesn't work. And this, this, this. And I think for moms, we always have the A to Z. Yeah. From one to infinity.
0: Yeah. Always always thinking. There. What, 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 I mean, the crazy thing is, like, I, I, I just asked my wife, I'll be like, what's on your mind right now? And she'll be like, well, I'm thinking about, you know, Joey get, you know, my daughter, Josephine getting, uh um. this this sundress or right. the sun's getting a new pa- new pair of shoes or we got to go get groceries or this has to be and right. i'm just like you the brain doesn't stop like it's, no, it's
1: like okay how do we organize? and the thing is with me it's like what i've learned unless another thing of like reading the body keeps the score and even talking with my therapist is the amount of procrastination i have oh my goodness i thought that that was just because of me that's just embedded in me that's just who i am i'm a procrastinator but actually the procrastination comes from the abuse and the trauma and it's not something that i want to do yeah but learning how to fight and and i don't want to be that i want i'm the like when i tell you i am winging motherhood i am literally winging motherhood like my eyeliner i have right now and and doing the the research and and doing what I feel is right for me, what I needed to hear as a child is what I'm providing for my kids Um, and realizing that by healing me, I heal them. And by understanding that all moms don't have their shit together. It is chaos in our brains. Oh my God. There's so many judgmental women out there like, oh, she doesn't, what, she didn't make organic mango puree? Like, oh my God. (laughs) Absolutely. It's the same. It came from the same freaking dirt. That, it's the same shit. It's or, It's organic. It came from the ground, whether you want to believe it or not. It's from the same spot. I just bought it in chopped up form at freaking Mariano's. Sue me. Yeah. You know, like it's just those things like, oh, my God. Yes, I feed my kid Wendy's. Should I? I, I yes, I do. But, you know,
0: <laughs> I feed my, my kid job, McDonald's. <laughs>
1: Like, they get McDonald's. We get everything. We get Chick-fil-A. We get McDonald's. We even get Knopf They're kids. They're kids. Like, it is what it is. Like, my daughter eats the same five shit all the time, so it's super easy. But I think as human, like, our job as parents is to provide a roof over their head, provide the necessities they need, and to give them the food they desire, shelter, all of that. Yes, but our job, our main, main job is to keep them alive. Yeah, and that is what we are doing. Like people really need to stop criticizing others' parents' decisions. Yeah, if their child is healthy and happy, leave them be. Yeah. Now, obviously, there's different circumstances, you know, with child abuse and all of that. But yeah, say if say, see something, say something. Yeah. Obviously, like I teach my daughters that as well. See something, say something. Yeah, please.
0: Yeah. Well, I I tell you what, this is this is one of those gripping podcasts that has it, it's been an emo- emotional roller coaster. It, it's been an honor and yeah. a privilege. I
1: was listening to your last episode, and something uh, uh, struck me in in talking in that a, lit- a lot of people during the healing time just want to get away. Yeah, and then when they want to get away, they want to come back. And then they don't know how to deal because everything is chaos all over again. Yeah. And it something hit me like because I'm feeling the same way. Like, I just need a getaway. Yeah. I need a vacation. Yeah. I just want to do that. But then realizing like what he said, like you need to learn how to cope in your environment.
0: Yeah, it absolutely. I mean, some sometimes people Go and they look and they say, I I need to go to this getaway. I need to go to this hospital. I need to go to this wilderness retreat or this thing to get away from the environment that I'm in and from someone that had issues adapting to their environment, getting into their environment.
2: Right.
0: The best thing that we could do is to provide coaches and therapists and consultants through the environment that they have that they're having a trouble adapting it. So, let's do hard parenting. Let's do hard work. Let's do all of these things. Yes. Because that's the reality because the 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 nature walk or the the thing that the escape, the getaway, yes, yeah, so sometimes people need that. I I get that.
1: Yeah, and I'm all for it also, but
0: But what I happens need to
1: remember that like for me, like what I crave sometimes is like sometimes I just want to go lay on the beach. Yeah. And I just want like a couple hours to myself. Maybe half a day. <laughs> I just, just want to do whatever the fuck I want to do.
0: 6 hours. Just give me 6 hours no maybe no mom 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 mom.
1: Yeah, um I just want to do it for me. I want to be lazy, not have to worry. Right? Absolutely. Um, like, I don't mind that, but I know that once the moment I turn my car back on and I come in, I am rejuvenated, I am refreshed, and I realize that I'm a mom. Get your shit together. Let's go. Yeah. Like, you feel good now. You're in a good place. Let's go back and tackle. And I think that's where a lot of people get lost because they're like, I feel good, and this is going to carry on. It's not going to carry on. You have to do the work every day.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, and Every day. well, and to your to your point on that, yeah, you get the you get that like just whether I've I've taken a trip by myself or I take a trip with my wife and we come back and it's like okay the kids have been acting a, a certain way because they're either with their grandparents or they right. went with the sitter so they're not acting like they do in their typical home environment right. so when they come home we come home it is just it, it's chaos. a banana fight it's chaos. Yeah freaking chaos. So take your zen and stick it right in the ass because It
1: right.
0: it's done. It is done. like hey, your time away is your time away. Now it's go time. You're a parent again.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think we do need those breaks and not to take away from anyone who wants to take a break. Totally. Like I think it's all we do. We do. We, do. we need our adult time. We need to socialize with adults. We yes. do. And we need to talk to other adults who also have these problems but realizing that they're not problems they're life
2: yeah they
1: are life and that is what life is yeah dealing with different emotions and dealing with happy experiences sad experiences like i always like say like why do we have to have sadness like why do we have to have sickness like why do we have to have all of that but at the same time if we don't then we don't appreciate what what we are and where we are and who we are and what we have
0: well in to to your point on that i've i've interviewed sudden cardiac arrest survivors where they've left their body they've gone to the other side they feel no none of the pain of the agonal breathing and the their body shutting down from the sudden cardiac arrest and there's there's a nothingness they're they're you know the all they felt was love But there, there's, there was nothing pitch black, nothing, nothing there, nothing available. And so that's why I say to your point, because all of, all of the shit shows that parents go through, all the shit shows that adulting goes through. Yeah. That's what makes us human. Right. That's, that's why we're we're on this earth.
1: What do they say? We are spirits having human experience.
0: Souls having a human experience. Absolutely. Spirits having a human experience. Souls having a human experience.
1: Once I realized, like, when I started tapping into, like, the mindfulness and getting into, uh, I knew that I had a soul. Like, I'm not to say that I didn't, but just getting more in depth of, like, who am I? Where does this come from? Where does this stem from? And learning about spirituality and the body, the physical body versus the astral body, and how that plays, because I'd never understood like how we as humans like can feel these vibrations and the energy, like how is that possible? If we're not living, yeah. how is that possible? How do people not believe that there's an energy force? If there's magnetic fields all over this earth, how do we not as humans feel that? Yeah. So I was starting to tap in to that and I'm still tapping and trying to learn more about spirituality and all of that. I still have to go see Nicole. I haven't forgot. I have to go.
0: Yeah. Well, and my my wife would l- would love to have a conversation with you, too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I l- don't mind that at all. Yeah. Linda, Lindsay, I, I let her know that we were doing the podcast today. Yeah. And she's like, tell that girl I said hello. And
1: I know. Tell her I said <laughs> hi, too. I think she was there the other day, I think a, a week ago, a couple weeks ago. And I meant to go in the room to say hi but my schedule was so packed I'm like damn it I wanted to go say hi. <laughs>
0: all, all good they, but uh I I tell you what you guys are doing it right uh over at Thank Station you. Side Dental and you know some of some of the local people we have people listen to this all over the country but some of the local people that that hear this I I definitely hope that uh that they give you guys a chance because, you know, I, I feel safe. My kids feel safe. My wife feels safe. And, you know, I, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to meet you and, you know, no, absolutely,
1: yeah, no, and, not at all. And,
0: and I would also say for the audience abroad, you know, when you go in and you see the dentist or you go in and you see the hygienist and you see the person that's prim and proper and they're in their scrubs and they got their instruments and they got all these things, you might, not, uh, you might not assume that this person has a backstory, has a life like you. But right. this is a perfect example that these are human beings doing human work. Yeah. And your, your story, your experience, what you've lived through and where you are now is such a victory and it's such a triumph and it's so good. You you should because it's a testament to how fucking strong you are. Thank you. Really is. It, it, like I'm a fan of yours. I'm excited to see where this goes to if I'm if, a
1: fan of yours. I hope I can come back again. <laughs>
0: oh, and, at, at any time. You yeah. you got something you want to talk about? Anytime, time, Valerie. It, yeah. it it's yeah,
1: definitely will reach out and say, "Hey, I think we should talk about this." I don't know. I'm feeling this. What do you think? Um,
0: absolutely. Yeah.
1: I I I'm really grateful for this experience and thank you uh, for letting me feel safe to say my story to you. Um, I know it's not easy for a lot of people, but I I really really appreciate you, Jay. Like I really do. This yeah. is the first time. I think that I've, uh, experienced this from beginning to end, um, my story and thank you for allowing me to do that.
0: Oh, absolutely. I, I, am honored that you gave, that you gave me the trust to, to do this and, in to do it with, with your best in mind and in your yeah in your mother's best in mind, your family's best in mind, because, um, yeah, what, what you shared, I mean, that's vulnerability one-on-one you, you, you were vulnerable and and this is going to help someone. This is going to help someone, Valerie, your story, your courage, your grit, your resilience, everything that you've done it's going to help a mom that is at her wits end.
1: I hope so. I guess like coming from like where I came from and having people uh, look at you as like, if you're unworthy, I just never thought that I could be that for someone. And um, sometimes it's hard to accept like, wow, I can, I can be an inspiration to someone. I I can, I can do that. (laughs) So I really hope that I can, I, I, I can be, that for someone. And um, and it, that was always my life purpose as a child. My And you can ask my father. As a child, I always said, Dad, when I walk down the street, I want people to know who I am, but I also want to help. I've always been a helper. I was annoying when I was little, but my dad said, you always had the best interest. You always wanted to help. And I'm realizing that that's probably what my calling is now. And it's hard to believe that in dentistry you can find, oh, how do you help people in dentistry? You know, how does that relate to you now? But I guess adjusting from the period or the time where I almost quit to, it's like, again, with that switch I told you, giving myself the adjustment and the time that I needed, because I wanted to quit, I definitely wanted to quit. And uh, my partner at the time said, no, you work so hard, see it through. I said, you're right, I'm gonna see it through. And it's almost as if when I transferred to the right place at the right time, it was like the switch flipped. Mm. And I was becoming more than the hygienist. I was connecting with my patients in ways that I never thought I could. Yeah. And realizing that I love hearing people's stories. And by hearing their stories, I'm able to help them with their even though our mouth people think that our mouth is not a part of our bodies it is completely a part of our bodies it's yeah. right there that's what we eat with right away and realizing that oral health becomes unrecognized a, a lot of people forget about it and the stress and the trauma it does affect our body and our mouths it can so keeping you healthy as a whole like sometimes I go way past into my appointments and I'm like running behind and for me it's like if I was able to let a person get off what they needed to say yeah or have someone just listen to them then my job is done wow. also while I'm cleaning their
0: teeth <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> and and they and they don't have to... And, you know the the response is right. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm sorry
1: I'm talking to you and I'm giving you all this advice and I have all this water in your mouth one second I mean, <laughs> you know,
0: yeah but it but it works though it 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 works. it it works and that is your way to give light to give love yes and pay it forward and that's yes. that's the reason you're on this show yes
1: that's
0: that's, that's why thank you I saw it I, I like five minutes in it was all about allowing me to, to feel comfortable. It was, a, and then when you felt comfortable to speak, I felt comfortable to speak. It was, it was a very genuine, it was very authentic and it was vulnerable. And it was just like, man, let's unpack this on the podcast because there's hygienists all over this country, all over this world.
1: Yeah. And our job is like, I love my job. Don't get me wrong. I love what I do. I love educating the patient. It's not I I think people get the wrong misconception of the hygienist of like, oh, they just clean my teeth. No, we're not just cleaning teeth. We're helping with treating gum inflammation, helping to, you know, they did link uh, gum disease, uh, gum disease, that bacteria, the red complex bacteria, they just found that bacteria linked to Alzheimer's. Wow. So maintaining gum disease can also help with lowering people who have diabetes, they're lowering their A1C levels, like the inflammation is in your mouth, it's going to spread to the part of the body. You know, so there's so many things like we, we help reduce gum inflammation, we help manage gum disease, we're looking for abnormalities in the mouth that could lead to stage one, stage two cancer. You know, we're helping you floss. We're helping you brush. And we're not saying it to be tedious and say, hey, you know, you're not brushing right. For me, that's not, that's not the way that I approach it. For me, it's like, hey, I noticed that there's this buildup here. Can you try this way? Yeah. Um, and delivery is like such a big thing. And it's not because I'm trying to like make this person feel bad. It's because I want you to keep your teeth forever. I want you to keep your teeth forever, ever, ever, and ever. Because they do. They help us talk. They help us taste our food. Yeah, and I love my food, I and I know too. everybody else does too. So <laughs> floss them, every day, and brush, and use mouth rinse. <laughs>
0: I'm still at once. Uh, I'm still at once a week, but hey, I'm still flossing. I I promise you, I'm going to go to the every other day.
1: Okay, every other day. At least get started. That's what I always say too. Like get started on the every other day. I'm human too Jay like there's times that I don't brush my teeth twice a day yeah I'm a mom I'm human it yeah. happens I got a cavity I have to go get it filled yeah <laughs> yeah it's for me too but I know what it can cause so I'm gonna continue to keep working at it and that's and I think a lot of um hygienists like not to say I can't speak for every hygienist but I know some that I have come across have get so angry like they're not brushing they're not flossing. how do they get better like oh my god make them do it Well, you know, people are going to do what they want to do as long as you keep educating them, as long as you keep trying, keep trying to floss, keep trying to brush, keep trying because it's only going to get better every time. Mm. I think that's the that's the best advice is to keep trying. If you completely give up and your whole mouth is decayed, then I'm sorry, (laughs) but (laughs) I'm sorry, but you have to start somewhere.
0: Yeah. Well, I tell you what, Valerie, I'm blown away by this conversation i'm excited yeah,
1: thank you i feel so much lighter I yeah feel
0: so much lighter is in, I, that's what i was going for with this i knew i i knew after when you had said like i haven't unpacked this i'm like this i think this could be really good for for you and yeah. it ended up being cathartic for me too and i think i released some tension and some yeah. pain there somewhere so oh, this this was excellent um well, I, I'm going to, I'm just going to wrap this up and just, you know, your success story, everything that you do from this moment on, it really is icing on the cake because you've already proven victory over what this, over what evil, over what darkness was trying to have you become. You've already, you've already proven that you can be victorious over it. And all of your, all of your belongings, all of the, you know, your home, your car, your career, you earned it.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I'm still, I'm still adjusting.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. likewise.
1: Yeah. I, I appreciate that. And I, I appreciate you and I'm glad that I got to cross paths with you and to be able to share my story is, um, something that I was looking forward to maybe like I, I write all these journals, but I'm like it's all over the place, but to be able to do it in one sitting and do that, I thank you. Yeah. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Valerie Mana.